Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. And now your host, Eyal Levy. Welcome to the URM Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. It's crazy to think that we're now on our fifth year, but it's true. And it's only because of you, the listeners. And if you'd like to see us stick around for another five years, there are a few simple things that you can do that would really, really help us out. And I would be endlessly appreciative. Number one, share our episodes with your friends. If you get something out of these episodes, I'm sure they will too. So please share us with your friends. Number two, post our episodes on your Facebook and Instagram and tag me and our guests too. My Instagram is at audio, And let me just let you know that we love seeing ourselves tagged in these posts. Who knows? We might even respond. And number three, leave us reviews and five stars, please, anywhere you can. We especially love iTunes reviews. Once again, I want to thank you all for the years and years of loyalty. I just want you to know that we will never ever charge you for this podcast and i will always work as hard as possible to improve the episodes in every single way possible all i ask in return is a share post and a tag now let's get on with it hello everybody welcome to the urm podcast i have two guests today mr josh schrader and mr david gunn this is another one of those producer artist combo episodes that are some of my favorites to do um get to talk to Josh and David and explore their working relationship. Josh is actually on Nail the Mix this month, February 2021. Uh, and, you know, he's obviously a producer, songwriter, mixer, and engineer. And uh, he opened a studio, Random Awesome, in 2008. He's worked with bands like For Fallen Dreams, The Color Morale, Tala, King 810, and a bunch of others. And David Gunn is the frontman lyricist and one of the primary songwriters for King 810 and uh, his side project, Yavid. He's a very interesting artist and uh, he's very excited to get to talk to the two of them. So anyways, I introduce you, Josh Schrader and David Gunn. David Gunn and Josh Schrader, welcome to the URM podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm a fan of your guys's work together, have been for a while. I'm curious uh, how you guys even met in the first place. Woof. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that was through the trash bag. Someone was taking out the trash and that ended up being fortuitous. It was rough because I didn't want to meet anyone and I also didn't care for any introductions. I wasn't trying to do anything. It was more just a humoring. And I thought, you know, this guy has to be Bozo if he lives in Michigan and I haven't heard of him. So I don't know why I humored it. I didn't have great rapport with the introduction with any with any part of the process. I was not feeling at all. So it was through someone else had introduced us and I went only as an entertainment thing as far as if I showed up, then they would stop asking. I thought I could go maybe get a cup of coffee, then leave. You know, and it would be pretty simple and painless. Was it because you didn't want a producer or um, you just thought that they were just whoever you had met already left a bad impression? So you were not interested in uh, meeting more. I tried to just protect whatever I'll call it a genius since I'm on the phone with Josh. And then since since we can (laughs) we can speak 
like that. I wouldn't do it if he weren't on, but uh, just trying to protect it, I guess. I, I'm not really interested in meeting people or having conversations or I don't really care about all that stuff because nine out of 10 people aren't worth meeting. So I just didn't want to sit through those cut and dried conversations, I guess is what it would be. Uh, of course, I knew we would need someone to do our album. But like I said, I was thinking, I don't know this. I never heard of this dude before. So, I, you know, I li- we apparently live an hour apart. He must not be that good because I am. <laughs> <laughs> Understandably skeptical. Yeah. Josh, were you aware that uh, he didn't really want to be there? When uh, you guys met, oh yeah, yeah, I was well aware he hated everybody before I met him. So that was I was prepared. <laughs> Is that normal for you, bands being, uh, I guess, standoffish or not really into it when you have that first introduction? I imagine not usually. Oh, with me, yeah. No, no, I get along with just about anybody. I'm I'm a chameleon socially. I can get along with really anybody, whether I like him or not. It's it's something that I'm, I think I'm decent enough at. It's part of the job, isn't it? Yeah, but naturally, I'm pretty introverted. And maybe that's one of the reasons David and I clicked right away. Is I can feign social niceties, and you know, I enjoy it. I you know, make the best of it. And that's why the band thing ended up turning into the producer thing, because I just didn't like being on the road. I didn't really like playing shows that got old. So stay at home and work on music? Yeah, I'll, I'd rather do that. But that was, you know, I think that's something that, I saw right away is that he was just introvert. I'm like, yeah, this is more someone who's really, you know, more at the heart of my speed. I would say that that's the real answer because just the very cutting, bleeding edge of suicidally depressed introversion doesn't really lend me to many more taking on more relationships. But I would say, you know, when you ask him uh, just to end it with a lighthearted backhand would be, of course, everyone is excited to meet him because they see the genius that he um, gets credit for that he's created with me. So everyone is stark <laughs> mad to try to meet him and just ask him, what is it, you know, about so-and-so that, and he just, he can't give the answer because he, he doesn't possess the philosopher's stone that is in my possession. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, obviously you don't want to be there. It's like, fuck it. Um, Maybe it'll get people to stop suggesting things, but obviously it was a good decision to go because you guys have um, a wide body of work together. What was it that made you give working together a shot? Well, it's contrary to all the red flags the things that mattered most, first off, his moniker is random awesome. So I immediately hate that because I'm just thinking like there's nothing <laughs> random about what I'm doing, buddy. So this is a very cold calculated maneuver. And if you randomly happen to be, you know, awe-inspiring or whatever, well, I'm not. I'm awe-inspiring at will. So I was thinking, oh, this is going to suck. And, and when we started talking, I, I realized it was... Not really indicative to the actual what was going on. I wasn't sold at the the first chat, but I think it was by the second one. And it was just because he was talking about, I guess there's, I don't want to say jargon or shop talk, or there's a certain attention or focus, I guess displaced. There's a displaced type of emphasis on things that matter to me that were kind of, he, he resonated with. So when people 
do the jargon or the shop talk. And I've met like maybe a couple dozen producers or engineers that were supposed to do our first record or our second or, or whatever, just those conversations, those introductions or, or whatever by acquaintances or worse. It's bullshit. When we were doing our first record, we said, if you want to do a record with us, you know, come out to Flint and we'll come to this drug house and we'll see how you feel about doing the record. And it was just a bunch of pansies. It was a bunch of clowns that would say this stupid shit and they just didn't really understand what was going on. I was like, I can't let this square make the record that we want to make. You know what I mean? I think they were there because they happened to be in the room when something was happening. And if you do that enough times, people think you have a portfolio, which is basically what the music industry is. But their emphasis was just uh, misplaced. It wasn't It wasn't on anything I cared about. Their stories were stupid. Like when someone tells you a story and you can tell they told it three times, I'm, I'm automatically out. Uh, someone asks, <laughs> like, like, it's, like it's on demand stories. Yeah. It's like that doll that you pull the string in the back and they have like 40 sayings, but they're all very disingenuine. And we didn't talk about any of those. So we were talking about ideas. I guess the simplest way to put it, what we always say is we are ideas people and most people are settings people. You know, they dig through, right, they watch right, videos right. online mm-hmm. to figure out, is with the what's the RMS that the uh, what's the compression? Oh, you have your gates. The, uh, you have your set. What's it? I put it at six. No, no, no. Down. Do we know we comp at three? Oh no, it's two dB. It's supposed to be. Oh no, no. When you're, it's like settings guy. Get the fuck out of the room because there's some real, uh, there's some real shit that's about to go down. You're it's above your pay grade. You know you're not you're not really. We don't want to hear about settings. I don't want to hear about them a distressor or a something uh, just don't talk to me about stupid shit like if my godchild knows of what it is and, and you're talking to me about it and you're a 40 year old man it's just like the fuck out of here i don't want to care about how you your record was so sick because you put 30 guitar layers on a fucking break like if you say breakdown to me then we're, ne- we're never going to talk again <laughs> you know so he didn't push any of those buttons though josh do you think that lots of producers will revert to the preset talk because they don't understand the art side? Yeah, I think so. I think because that's all they understand is just the technical side as an engineer. Now, I have to know that stuff because I don't have any assistants and any interns, nothing full-time. But you don't need to talk about it. Yeah, I don't like talking about it because to me, that's just, it's not the idea. You know, like David was saying, I'm, I'm more interested in the idea. What's the idea of the song? What are the, what are the lyrics? What, what's the vibe we're trying to hit here? What do we need to run it through? We need to run it through 30 distressors? Okay, sure. If that's the sound, then then sure, we'll, we'll haul them out, we'll rent them, whatever we need to do. And that's one of the reasons why I don't like having assistants or, or interns. I remember listening to one of your podcasts, I think it was like, it was with Gagarth, and he was talking about when they get assistants into the studio, new people, and one of the first things they teach them is how to hang and how to not, you know, shit all over the mood of the room. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's what David's talking about is... Yep. You come in, in the studio and just, oh man, check out this you know, little guitar. Let me do a little lick here. Let me tell me about this story about this band and, and this song that we did. And it's it takes it's nothing to do with David and what he's trying to do. You're not listening. You know, I have a lot of sayings. I got these. You know, it's the me show. Yeah, uh, you know, a big saying that I have that I that I try to live by is, you know, listen to your artists. Most producers don't. What do you mean? No, I mean like talking to them and hearing where they're coming from. Listen to music, yeah, sure. But like listen to them, talk to them. Where are these ideas coming from? What is the goal for the song? You know, and like I said, yeah, we could talk settings and some bands are like that. You know, some guys 
I'll work with, and they're just gear nerds. And I can nerd out, sure. And maybe that's part of me also being a bit of a you know social chameleon. I can just you know pivot to the left and dude, I can talk to you all day about about engineering stuff. If someone's really passionate about it, cool, then we can go that route. But David's not that. Yeah, <laughs> David likes you know we talk about ideas and you know what I mean what's the point of the song. What is the goal? What is the what is the one takeaway thing? And what are all the other layers and subtleties about it? And how do we bring that out? You know, because I I give them shit all the time. There's this like, dude, you write like thirty songs in one song. We need right? we need to simplify some of the stuff. So I, my job is always to try and bring out and like highlight these different ideas because there's a lot of good stuff going on here that I think a lot of people don't or they kind of miss. I think if you're just listening, even somewhat casually, even somewhat focused for most people. Do you think that being able to hang is even teachable? I remember that episode and he was talking, I remember him talking about that. And I mean, I believe what he was saying, but at the same time, part of me is thinking, man, people either have a vibe or they don't. Yeah. To me, it's awareness. So no, yeah. in my opinion, you can't teach awareness. It's the difference to me between intelligence and wisdom. Intelligence is memorized information that you can repeat and get a good Jeopardy score. It's not wisdom or knowledge. It's not applicable and usable. It's not tacit. So awareness is something that you you can read all the Buddhist books you want to in the world, but you can't have true awareness. And when you have awareness, you come to it on your own, on your own. Your friend is not into awareness and, and then bestows it upon you or tells you to read X, Y, or Z or watch this YouTube video. You get it by coming to it yourself and... I think it's a gradient and it's nuanced and some people are more aware than others and some people are most aware, but I don't think you teach that because I think it's a wisdom. I think you have to come to that and the the way to come to it is through experiences and you either had them or you didn't, but maybe Garth was kind of inducing an experience. That's entirely possible. Perhaps it would work or perhaps it wouldn't, perhaps it would be maybe at the start of something or the end of something, maybe one of four experiences they would have to have, you know, there's no real formula. The point is I think most people are not aware. If I remember his solution was just shut the fuck up. <laughs> that was the thing he taught them first day. <laughs> yeah. But that is a great solution. Uh, that's a fantastic solution. I mean, for lots it's of things. one of those things it's, yeah. I mean, I get it. You're excited and you're in a studio with somebody that's worked with like, you know, Rage Against the Machine and his dad's done Pink Floyd and stuff. So I get it. You're like excited and you, you know what I mean? But when people are here and they're trying to, you know, get their ideas out and you're just, you know, punishing, yeah, it's it really sucks the vibe out of the room. Yeah, absolutely. The reason why I think I hate it is because punishing is pretty selfish. If I'm coming to you and I and I, I wasn't necessarily to, to begin with, like I said, it was a unsavory introduction, but you know, the stupid idiom that everyone repeats, the platitude of two ears, one mouth, but we all say it and we all repeat it, but no one really actually acts it out. And that's another that's another example of pretty much exactly what we're saying is if you're going to someone, say like Garth, which he does good records, you know, and you're going to him, you, you admire him and to, to some degree or, or whatever he has done. Why would you feel like you have the, you have the soapbox or the show? Why wouldn't Part of what I would go for if I were going that route was, you know, I got to get as much out of this as possible. You don't really get things when you're talking. You don't get 
experiences in anything in life. You could be climbing a mountain, like talking to yourself is not going to just bring awe over you. Talking doesn't work. It's not a good, it's useless and stupid. You shouldn't be doing it when you're in the presence of someone that is light years ahead of you. Yeah, I think it's nerves probably. Yeah, like you know, like you said, it's it's you know, subconscious selfishness. It's it's nerves. It's all these things. You want to bring something to the table, and it's just like when you clearly, it's you know, what I mean, you just started and stuff. Yeah, it's you know, I get it, but you know what they say about introverts versus extroverts is uh, that introverts generate their energy on their own, and being around other people sucks it out of them, and so then they need to go to their own little world and recharge it and um extroverts are the opposite they actually get energized by being around other people but if uh you're too wrapped up in your own bullshit to recognize that in somebody else you're probably going to turn them off from talking to you very very quickly especially if they're introverted i think it's just a misreading of the situation yeah true yeah i think there's something also to be said an afterthought like I've kind of sat around thinking about this, but extroversion speaks to, there's a Dridi Krishnamurta uh, quote that says, it's it's no measure of health to be well adjusted to a sick society. I think that is the extroversion condition ad nauseum, period. When you, when people say, you know, people get their energy from um, other people and, you know, extroverts are this, that, and the other thing. Extroversion only seems to be something positive or optimistic or manageable or usable in a society that, in my opinion, is sick. It's like today you have the wake up at 4 a.m. guy and do 17 push-ups, and you don't know I'm reading a, I'm reading a Kindle while I'm driving to work because I got an audio book when I'm jogging and I'm doing a, <laughs> all these performance things and all these hyper performance things and all these all these like life hacking as as they call them. It doesn't mean they're inherently good. And to what end is all that stuff, anyways? Yeah. You know, say, you know, I, I do X, Y, and Z, and I got my YouTube channel, smash that like button, and follow and subscribe and thumbs up. You know, I make $3 million this year. We would call that successful. I think it's busy work. Exactly. Yeah, to fill a void that you're not sure why it's missing, right? To me, it's, in, it's kind of a um, symptom of someone that doesn't know what they want. I know a lot of people like this, and they do a million things. They do the clothing line, they do the photography, they do the streaming, the Twitch. And all this stuff. there's a void. It's the jack of all trades, right? That's the cliche. But like, why is that? Why are, why, why do people f- do that? And I think it's, yeah, and, and you don't have what you want to do actually outlined. So the thing we talk about is beginner's novelty. So there's a million things that have that that can hold your attention for a limited amount of time because when you start them, your output is zero. So if I, today, let's say I want to be a country singer. Okay, I've never sang country before. But my output would all of a sudden go from zero to 100, so I feel real good about myself. Now, if I do two, three, ten songs, how much will I improve? And you start hitting a bit of a plateau. It's going to be 10% once you hit 10, exactly. Right. So then most people give it up because, well, it's not what I want. You know, I mean, If you really wanted it, you would stick with it. Like that 0.005% improvement is something that, well, yes, you will, you'll be well aware of it. You'll pick up on it. You'll see those subtle differences. You'll observe the other, you know, examples of greatness around you and and chip away and chip away at it. But when you don't really have your goals or your happiness defined, then it becomes just kind of a buffet, and you're just you know taking a little spoonful at the top of everything without really being satisfied at the end of it. What you just said uh, makes me think a lot of newbie gains at the gym. Exactly. Oh yeah, same thing. Because because people are going from a basically if they've never lifted or worked out, they're going from 
no strength to strength. So they experience transformations, minor transformations very, very quickly. You know, because again, they're going from zero to, to something in the first place. But then once, you know, a year out, that's when the super hard work actually begins and the progress slows down. And then that's where if someone actually wants it, that's when it gets tested. There's this book by Seth Godin called The Dip. It's exactly about that. It's, you know, like there's always that initial period of being into something. And then the real test is what happens after that initial period. Yeah. Which isn't always like good or bad either, because you could just be indicative to how much into fitness is this person. You know, you, you talked about gains from zero to one year, but if you want to talk about, if you want to talk about taking this to the highest level, you know, bone density and things like that are not happening for six to eight years out and or training or training a, uh, a muscle density fiber might be two and a half years, and this is for a single muscle group. That really is a testament to how far you you actually want to take this thing. And if your if your goal is to get in shape, maybe you don't want to make your bones more dense, or you don't you don't want to do ten years. So, you know, some people don't. But I do think we do live in, as Josh says, the the buffet society. I think I think uh, this. This uh, contraption rewards those things. And I think most of the time people are to keep using the shitty platitudes that we continue to repeat. They're putting the cart before the horse because they're talking about things like sleeping in a hyperbaric chamber in their garage, you know, so they can get these, get their swim time (laughs) down when their swim time is like four minutes outside of, you know, the 3000th place uh, athletic swimmer in the state. You know what I mean? You're you're thinking, you know, because Michael Phelps does it, you know, and when 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 his one millionth of a second means he is the best in the world or not, you know, that's giving you maybe a you know one hundredth of a second, but you happen to be forty thousandth, you know, get off the computer, <laughs> get to work, yeah, <laughs> you know, swim. That's that awareness you're talking about. It's it's interesting too because uh, I feel like you can't buy your way into things like fitness or being good at something, you can't uh, buy a chamber and then suddenly be world-class at something. There's really only one way to become world-class at anything, which is don't do anything else. Just do this thing and fucking focus on it for a really, really long time. And that's just not nearly as uh, enticing or sexy as getting a chamber. Yeah. It's not as romantic as getting a chamber and putting it in your garage and uh, doing what Michael Phelps does. Yeah, they don't want to wake up at 4 a.m. and, you know, and do four, four or five hours before noon. They, they want to get a chamber because... It's instant uh, satisfaction. I hear it all the time. I'm like, oh, what's the thing you use for this? What do you, you know, I mean, that has nothing to do with it. It has nothing to do with it. I was doing great records with just awful, awful gear for, for many years. You remember all the, the, the Sharpies and you know, markers in, that were separating Pieces my rack sheep. here at the old joint? yeah a system that was held together by bubble gum and hopes and dreams i mean you could take you know what i mean as someone that's really you see it all the time with modern music and you know with billy eilish and stuff like that where it's like made on you know in the house a lot of hits are just being made on laptops you know what i mean you could take you know someone i love that, that someone that's mediocre and throw them in the best studio in the world it's gonna be awful and i had that moment and that was one of the reasons I, I realized, oh, I, I can actually do this because a friend of mine went to a nice local studio and it sounded so awful. And I was like, my piece of shit computer <laughs> sounds way better than this. So it's there's more to it. It's it's the person. It's the person behind the board, behind the keyboard, whatever it is. It has nothing 
very, very little to do with gear itself. That's actually why recording studios, like those mega studios, have zero value, even though they have millions of dollars of gear in them. They can't keep them open. They can't sell them. They have zero value because at the end of the day, we all know what happens when a shitty local band or something goes to that multi-million dollar studio. Like They still come out with a shitty product. The studio itself doesn't matter. In that way, it is kind of good because it, it does really hold the, the mirror up to you and be like, yeah, you suck. <laughs> it's just polished shit. These are all the best microscopes that audio has to offer. And they are showing you in your fantasy and when you're jamming around at home with your friends and you think you're some rock star and then you actually record it in a place that's, I mean, like you said, it is kind of sad about these studios that they, you know, I mean, it's tough because there is a value to it for sure. You know, in a, you know, just like there's value to film and shooting film and, and movies like that. But like, well, yeah, if Christopher Nolan's making the movie. Right, right. So, but if you're, again, like David was saying, putting the cart in front of the horse, if you're worrying about the medium and about the tools and that becomes the focus is like that's your idea i mean that's the box where ideas go into diminishing returns as we always say right your idea can't be um you know on the shelf at the store for 23 grand you know we always uh, that's one thing that we always say is aside from diminishing returns would be the principle but i cannot stand when someone says if x then z if only x then i would be z or if only i had this then i would be that shit is such bullshit it's never true symptom of procrastination i think right it's easier to say if i only had this external thing that's out of my reach then i'd be able to do this thing that's so awesome it's easier to say that than to admit to yourself and be like, maybe I'm just not that good at this. I, I need to work harder. It's really a great way to skirt accountability, right? It's because as soon as you say that, oh, if only I could, you know, if only I could clear out my spare bedroom, my, you know, all this, you know, shit everywhere. It's so messy. Then I could start my grow up. Then I could start making this cash. Just like, well. Right. I don't, uh, <laughs> whenever someone, whenever someone says that to me, I just, especially coming from a place where I come, which was hell, I'm not willing to listen to who I consider a bunch of Nancy fucking just dweebs, you know what I mean? Just basically have a silver spoon and beyond tell me I'm so lucky because X. And it's just like, you want to see luck? Luck is how bad I, I'm going to hurt you when I'm going to stop. is like luck, your luck. It comes back to awareness. Do you even believe that luck is a thing? We always talk about it constantly, but we, I believe both of us believe it's a thing, right? We just, we just define it as different. It really, to me, ties into like chaos theory or like, let's say you buy a lottery ticket, right? And you have a one in a million chance. Well, someone's going to get it. It's more than one in a million. It's like one in 200 million. Whatever that odd is, someone gets it, right? So are they lucky? Are you just a product of, you know, natural born chaos, essentially? Are some people luckier than others? I mean... Again, what's the dumb saying? A broken clock is right twice a day, right? So, yeah, sure. You know, the odds are that someone is going to have things that are perceived as lucky happen to them more often. Favorable in this universe. Sure, yeah. Or like, let's say, artists that, oh, man, the timing is just right so that this you know, particular sound really popped off. Whereas like, if they would have come out five years earlier or five years later, nothing would have happened. Ridley Scott, what Ridley Scott right, said, right, right, right. you're the, ahead of the curve or behind the curve, either way you miss the, the mark, right? 
Yeah, you're not. I think what he says, you're not making money <laughs> yeah. if you're ahead of the curve, too far ahead of the curve, too far behind it. You ain't making cash, and you can't control that. No, right. I always take my hands off the wheel when it comes down to things we can't control. We we talk about this with each other all the time, and we define the unknown as luck because it's easier just to say luck, uh, not as a blame game or anything. But you know, there there are things happening in the unforeseeable universe that we we can't know touch or control and i think that is what we call luck when you know you try to keep your head in the right spot and you try to keep your thoughts in the right direction you try to keep your intentions good but i have a a complete blindness to if something does good in the world uh, say business-wise success-wise whatever i have a really hard time caring um if someone sells four million records I don't think they're four million times better than the guy that sold one. It's not indicative at all to uh, anything. That's when I said it's no measure of health to be well adjusted to a sick society. The the Krishnamurti quote that is that too, you know. And it goes goes back to the life hacking people, you know, because this particular society has rewarded you with what this particular society proclaims as great success. Uh, it doesn't mean anything. You don't you don't get anything. You're not owed anything. You're not better than anyone. And I think this about myself as well. When people say uh, whatever it is people say to me, it's like, I thought I was the universe before I, before you did, before anyone, before you fucking people knew who I was, I had this already. You didn't give me anything. So you can't take anything away from me. Like this whole thing that you think I have or whatever, this attention that you feel like giving me sometimes good or bad or whatever. I didn't care when I didn't have it. And I don't, I don't care now. I don't care if anyone takes it away because I was sitting at home doing, making music before there was any such thing as a a reward or a, uh, I'm not motivated by people in a world that I can't stand full of people that I hate, that I don't respect, love, or admire, or want anything to do with. There's no extrinsic type of material motivation that gets me to lift a finger. Or I, I, and I say this, I say this kind of in, in the song Red Queen that we, that we just put out the video for a couple months ago is like, I don't want to say, you know, you can trust me because I don't care if you don't care about trust, but I don't have any ill intention motivations i'm not like my hands not being twisted a certain way i don't have any political alliances products to sell i don't i'm i'm completely uncompromised because i don't care about anyone outside of my circle it doesn't matter if if someone comes down to me today which they've already done this and said you'll you'll never play a show again wow i'll probably sleep longer today then i don't care. There's nothing in this world that someone can give or take that's going to move me. I think just that whole attitude, what you're just talking about, I think that's exactly the reason why I was immediately interested in working on stuff together because that's to me like authenticity when it comes to expression. It's the right reasons. Right, right. I have this conversation with bands all the time because, you know, you you hear, oh, sell out, so-and-so is a sellout. Oh, I don't want to sell out, et cetera. And I I tell them, the second you show your art to somebody, you have sold out. You've sold out socially, right? I'm showing you this piece of, you know, paper that I drew on, David, because I want you to see it. Now, socially, I've sold out to you because I want you to see it. So on some level, we all do 
but it's you know it's a gradient. It's a great. It's a gradient. You know, how much do you want to compromise? How much social gratitude do you want? How much monetary rewards do you want? You know, what I mean, like you're saying, the society you have to love the society that you're in to be into the rewards that they deem fit to give to people who they deem to be successful. Right. So if you're not into that. You know what I mean? That whole structure and that system, it's not, you know what I mean? And some people are the, the opposite. They're so after, you know, the gratitude, the, you know, the compliments, you know, the reinforcements and, and, and the encouragement and stuff. And it's, you know what I mean? It lacks the, it's like, aren't you making this for yourself? Like first and foremost, like that's, that's why I do what I do. I didn't go into recording because I want to make a career out of it. I just did it and people paid me enough until I just could quit my job. I'm like, cool, I'd rather do this than you know push carts at Target or something. So it, it wasn't something I sought out with money. I want to get, you know, I want to do these records because I can make some money. I don't really care, you know what I mean? And I haven't cared for years. It's, it's paid for my bills for 10 years now. And I haven't had to really worry. Yeah, it gets, you know, thin and thick here and there. But at the end of the day, I'd still do this whether people come here or not. People, you know, don't show up. Okay, well, then now I'm grabbing the guitar and doing some things. But... It's, um, but yeah, to circle it back around, it's, yeah, authenticity is something that I'm always trying to get out of people. With David, it's easy because it's, it's there. So now I just need to highlight it. With some other people, you kind of have to fish it out of them. You kind of have to get them out of their shell a little bit. Um, you know, like some of the new, like, you know what I mean? If a band comes in, they've never really been to a studio before and they're just really in their shell and they're nervous because whatever this and that, and they're trying to do it right. And a lot of it comes from a good place, but... You have to, yeah. It's you know, it's that you know, you got to sing like no one's watching. You have to, you have to write for yourself first and foremost, and that just gives you know something that's interesting. Because if you're writing for other people, you're guessing what they want. Oh, this is I think what you want to hear, and it's that Thomas. What's the Thomas Edison thing? Or no, Henry Ford. If I ask people what they want, they would, yeah, they would have said faster horses. Exactly. So don't you know? I mean, cater, cater to yourself first and foremost. Write for yourself. I mean, you'll be way more fundamentally happy that way anyhow. Maybe that's another thing Dave and I just click on because I'm not interested in doing anything really besides the things that I enjoy. Like people talk about guilty pleasures. I don't believe in that at all. I'm not no, guilty about shit. There's no I guilt. like what I like. <laughs> right. I read, I said someone said something the other day, like Creed was a guilty pleasure. I love Creed. I don't give a fuck with these. What is guilty about it? Bread of shame still bangs. Right. Exactly. Ex, ex, like, okay, let me say, I like my own prison and shit. The, the album. But like, what would I care? Right. I am always not guilty. Your For honor. who? Right. <laughs> we don't, you don't ever admit <laughs> guilt in where, where I'm from, you fucking cucks. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, uh, do you think that this could be one of the reasons that, I mean, besides like underlying mental illnesses, but do you think that this is one of the reasons that uh, super successful people will throw themselves off a bridge or kill themselves because uh, they think they're in it for all these external rewards they think that that's going to fill the void and then they get those rewards and they don't matter right like they they don't mean shit and then it's like where do i go from here yeah it's something that i read about i don't know where what state it was based in but they said something along the lines of once you make fifty thousand or seventy thousand a year i think it was 70 yeah i mean from my you know from my point of view i've made way less than that and I've been about as happy as I am today. It hasn't really changed. My happiness since I was a teenager, since I can really remember being happy and into things, has been even keel. And you have good days and bad days, like anybody, you know, 
things come along, things out of your control or things you do that you, you know, wish you had done something else, et cetera, et cetera. But my overall temperament, yeah, it hasn't really changed. You know, success, sure. Oh, you're doing recordings for a living. Yeah, it's great. I enjoy it. I, I'm spending my eight hours a day in a way that I find fulfilling and it's entertaining to me. I find it challenging. You know, it, it's good. I enjoy it. Yeah. But my general, you know, overall happiness, is it way more than when I worked at Target? Um, yeah, the bills are paid. I have a little bit less stress. You know, I mean, it's, it's, I don't have to worry about that kind of stuff, you know, as much as I used to. But your overall just deep down satisfaction? No. No, because, um, again, I was, I've been catering to myself as long as I can remember. And um, maybe it's just a, a symptom of just, again, solitude, wanting to be alone. It's just like, I just want to be by myself. So as far back as I can remember, I was entertaining myself, drawing, doing whatever, you know, minding my own business, doing my own thing and finding satisfaction there as opposed to in other people. You know, I have many great friends, but at the end of the day, it's, they're not you and, and they have their own motivations and they'll let you down and they'll do other things. But if you can really find satisfaction from within, it's to me, it's the most constant thing that, you know, and consistent thing that you can rely on. You can rely on yourself. Yeah. Do you think that people are afraid to do that because of the inherent risk? Oh, sure. Because you might have to give up some external rewards if you really, really follow that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't have many close friends. You know, David's one of my closest friends. I don't hang around with much people at all. Yeah. I'd rather be alone. Like like my wife, Sarah, she's my best friend. And 99.99% of the time, if I'm hanging out with somebody, it's with her. This is before the pandemic. So everything going on right now suits me just fine. It's one of those things. I just, it's a quality over quantity thing. I find the person that I want to spend time with and that's it. I don't need to spend time with other people. I'll, I'll hang out with family and friends occasionally, but... I'm way more happy and satisfied. I've got like an hourglass. I call it the hourglass effect. Uh, whenever I have to be around friends and family, like the moment I get into that situation, <laughs> it just the hourglass starts going. Uh-huh. There's this period where it's like done. I got to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. I feel that. Yeah, I'm very My much like that. Hourglass is already flipped, and I act like I flipped it, but I didn't. So it's already <laughs> done, and I don't go. I think it's a couple of things though on your on your last question. I I don't really know about other people and their problems because I always when you asked the question I was thinking, well, no, not me. I don't care what anyone thinks and I'm suicidal every hour of the day. But I think that's uh, probably a mental health problem, but I think a lot of people get so obsessed with this game that we are talking about and I think someone not so well grounded, you know, is chasing these these external, we'll call it the hedonic treadmill because that's what it's called. It's these external, these externalities. An interesting introspection on this type of thinking is like the actor Jim Carrey. He talks about this shit a lot. He's a very enlightened dude, actually. It's this hedonic treadmill. And I think some of these people do throw themselves off buildings when they realize I waited in line for the show all this time. And when I got in the show, it was it's not such a good show. When you get self-obsessed with, with this game, I think weak people do it, but uh, someone, someone again, that's not so grounded, you, you think this game is life. Like you get so obsessed with these externalities that you believe they're real. And when you accomplish 300 things and make 400 million and you're da-da-da-da-da and you, uh, you have, a, you have a, a breakdown, like I said, I really don't know. Maybe someone has problems, but one of those problems could be the illness that you get to believing that all of this is a real thing. You were supposed to get 
X, Y, and Z at the end of the race. When you got to the end of the race, you were given X, Y, and Z and like your heart doesn't fill up though. And it's still the same. And, and you just kind of put X, Y, and Z on the table and you still lay down next to the old lady you hate, wake up to the life that you can't stand, don't like to look into the mirror right. and, go, and go do the thing that really doesn't reward you because your reward and all your value was placed in something unimaginable, I think it's an awareness thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's an awareness thing because if you're not aware and you're not really paying attention, like, oh, I want to be, again, the rock star, right? I want to be a rock star. Well, if you're not really aware and you're not really paying attention, everything about that's going to shock you. You know what I mean? There's so many other steps and so many other things about it that just never occurred to you. Because you're ignorant to every aspect. You're saying you want to be something, you have no idea what it is. Right. You just want the rewards when people tell me, oh, yeah, it'd be great to be your own boss. And just like, yeah, you want your e- your ego whacked off. Basically. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, it'd be great to be, you know, be your own boss and work from home. It's just like, yeah, you want to do taxes. You want to, you know what I mean? You want to answer to every single thing that comes through. It's another reason I don't have a manager or assistant. I like, I'm just a control freak. And I, I know that again, it'll get done right. If I do it, I'd rather have a more lean operating machine than, than a bunch of employees that it's again, it's again, it could be just the, the introvert thing and the the loner hermit thing. But I just, yeah, if, if the studio gets bigger than a one man operation, then I'd rather just do something else. But yeah, like what David was saying, yeah, you're unsatisfied because you're chasing after something you haven't defined. And then once you get it, it's different, completely different than your bullshit imagination of what you thought it was. So it's wholly unsatisfying. And uh, yeah, that's that thing that's a huge problem for a lot of people when they're chasing quote unquote their dream, whatever their their business or whatever success they're they're chasing after. Well, nothing ends up being what you thought it would be. I was going to say I never tell people to not chase it because sometimes when you find it, you you find what you really want, and that you realize that True. was a stepping stone. So I never tell people um, this isn't what you really want. Well, you know, when they tell me what they really want, it doesn't sound anything like this. But I never say I, you know, I don't recommend this, that, or the other thing because sometimes getting what you want is only the beginning. It's the start, or it's a stepping stone, or it's I, I got everything I wanted, and I realized that thing that I was after, which I didn't define, so I didn't really ever even know, you know, if I did have it to begin with, wasn't the end. It still actually wasn't anything to do with the direction I really needed to be heading. It's almost like getting to your destination and realizing you had the wrong map. Do you uh, know what you're after now? Nothing. Did it take a while to get to that? Two answers, they're polar opposites. When I was young, I was so hopeless that I never dreamed that anything was possible because no one that I've ever known has any success, period. And by success, I mean something as simple as graduating high school. But as I grew older, I cared less and less about the world and anything that um, I guess could be given or taken away from me. And the place that I come from, a lot of people die every day. It's almost as if this world that we keep talking about, it really doesn't mean anything to me. Like an 11-month old kid just got shot outside, you know, 13 people dead in 10 days. I, I always say this shit and people are like, roll their eyes. But when you live in this world... Anything that we're talking about is a funny joke that is just like, oh, yeah, maybe I'll think about that and humor myself and be entertained on the weekends with my friends that people care about this. But like where I come from, nobody cares about that. That's the last thing that anyone gives a fuck about. But from the intellectual side and the intelligent answer to give you, as I 
grew older and learned more things and, you know, had more experiences and read more books and tried to do more thinking and really meditate on the idea of, of what you asked. No, I've, I find out that it made perfect sense, not for the reasons that I had, that life was so cheap and, you know, I'm sitting here and maybe a bullet will uh, come through the house and today and that's not going to be a big deal and, and no one really cares and dying's not a big deal. So I'm not really after anything because I, I never really was. And the things that I like doing now are the things that we've talked about, but I realize I'm unimportant and the things that I like doing, I like doing them for myself so much that I couldn't care if I ever do them again. It, you know, if, if, no, I just don't, I just don't care. It's, I think desiring, you know, I have goals and I have, you know, we, we always talk about ideas and future things, you know, cause, cause that's normal. But as far as desiring a, an outcome or an effect or, an, or, or a result, I don't think we ever, when we sit down to make a song, we have goals as far as like, what is the character of this? What's the spirit? What are we, usually what I'm trying to do is do something a little bit new, which is why you might have witnessed us you know, commit career suicide about 18 times, but it's because no one cares. You know, we're just, we're just trying to do new things. And, and sometimes people perceive those things as really bad or really distasteful or a really bad business decision or a really bad uh, social move or a really bad idea. But I'm just curious and kind of chasing this thing. And we always come up with, what do we want to do with this song? Or so creation, I got the spirit, I got this vibration, I got this whatever. But we never are like, we joke, of course, because I am the biggest star in the universe, UI Scooty. And this guy that records me is just some hack who likes ICP and lives in Canada. But be, this, you know, that's an odd combination, but... um. The the truth is we don't sit and say, this is the one, you know, we don't out roll out of my sleeve. We do it jokingly. So I don't, I don't want to say that we sit and uh, we do, we sit and say this because I imagine Josh is grinning because he's thinking we, that is exactly what we do. But, but it, you know, it's, it's, it's joking. You know, we don't have a desired. A bolstering. Yeah. We're, we're just feeling ourselves. It's not real. It's funny when you bring that up though, but sometimes I think, cause we're always joking around about this kind of stuff. It reminds me of just calling your shots in some ways. And I think the act of doing it, of calling your shots, can actually make your shots come to fruition, right? If what, you're, do you, what do you mean by calling I'm your shots? Eight, eight ball corner pocket type shit. Ah, uh, okay. Right, so calling your shot. Now, because you've called it and you've manifested it into, you verbalize it, it's out there, the, the audio waves are bouncing off the wall. So now you're thinking about it in a different way. And I remember it was when, when I was writing for... Um, Suicide King. I think we were going for breakfast somewhere. So I'm just, I'm feeling it. I'm, I'm, I'm calling. It. I'm gonna. I feel the wave coming. I didn't feel the wave coming. It's bullshit. I'm just saying it. I'm just saying that you know, just, just, just to bolster myself. Exactly. So I feel the wave coming. And then so, I'll get and then you talk. And you right. And then I get charged. I'm like, oh, wait a second. Maybe it is coming. And then you sit down. And you and then next thing I know, I got like 30 new songs that just, they all just you know pop out because you started the momentum, right? Like you've. Even though it's 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 I guess a bit of fake it till you make it in a in a short term kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. But like just kind of like verbalizing, like they say when you read aloud 
for example, you absorb things differently. So maybe it's somewhere in there. I'm modern jackassing it, but maybe there's something in there, some scientific explanation for calling your shot, like Babe Ruth pointing out to the stand and just knocking one out of there. And you think, had he not called the shot, would he have actually done it? I mean, he's Babe Ruth, but still, it's one of those things. Yeah, I think we do that a lot, and it's like an iron sharpens iron thing too because he'll play me a piece i got this i got this piece of music da 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 da. it's the most whatever and i say motherfucker i already got it done and i just say (laughs) press record bitch and and then i walk in i don't fucking have it done i haven't even listened to it all the way through i always say jokingly but i'm dead ass serious when you say what's the song time three minutes and 30 seconds yeah that's how long it took me to write and record it it's true because i am making it up but it happens to be really good (laughs) <laughs> me, well, I think me, I to think me. too. So like, I may as well roll with it. Yeah, when when you're feeling it, though, when you really are feeling it, and you know, like I said, it doesn't matter. Like some of the best stuff I've ever recorded from really anybody happens in the moment when you're really feeling it. The words will come and the ideas and stuff, but like there's there's an intangibility about that. You can't calculate it. You have to just instinctually go for it. And you yeah. have to build up those instincts. You can't just, the joke we always make is you can't just jump on the pummel horse right. and go, oh, I'm feeling, here we go, I'm going to try, yeah, I'm gonna try yeah, something new, yeah. jump on the pummel horse and get the gold medal. You have to That's have not going to happen. We, but you have, we to, have chops. I know I have exactly. chops. He know, you know you have chops. And that's already been understood. And chops are like the last of our worries. What we're trying to do is like is create a, a vibration or some type of spirit in the in the yeah. area in the room that we can capture and, and ride. And it's not a will, you know. I I understand that I'm a visitor and it's very temporary. Most days I sit down to write every single day. Most days for five hours, probably three hundred minutes. And most of those three hundred are just garbage. And I never even show mostly because I don't want Josh digging them out of the trash and salvaging them and reselling them because they're actual genius because they are. Oh, you get all my garbage. Yeah. (laughs) You get I I send you all my trash. No, you're misinterpreting that. It is trash when you send it to me. But have you ever heard of polishing a turd? (laughs) I told you I'm the philosopher. I had this philosopher's stone at the very first sentence of the conversation. I can actually turn simple stones to gold and your creations are stone. I'm Dumbledore. Oh, right. Okay. Oh, but it's it's one of those things. Yeah, the writing, like we were saying, is just, you know, some days what I've enjoyed is sometimes David will come over and will, you know, half the day, I mean, half of what, an eight-hour day, seven-hour day, six-hour day, half of the half the day is is writing lyrics and writing music, and then the half is recording. So we'll bust out a song in a day. And I, I really like writing fast and instinctually because it's overthinking things a lot of the time. Not all the time, but a lot of times... It just ends up just sounding forced and contrived. But if you're all of a sudden you catch something, you say something, I'm like, oh, that gives me an idea. I'm going to go grab a guitar, do something. In it. And it just quickly shit it out. Don't overthink it. And then it just it just has that that vibe. Like, what was that, Suicide Machines? That wasn't one that we wrote, you know what I mean? Like in a day, it just kind yeah. of you know, popped it out. It feels good. And it all it feels like of a moment and of a vibe. And it's not sprawled out. It's just like, it literally is written not much longer than this. You know, it took the song to listen through it. So yeah, yeah I it just feels alive. That. Like it was, you know, we were saying earlier, there are a bunch of pontifications and stupid ideas floating around, but you know, there is such thing as like maybe beginner little rules or, or, or checks or ticks or whatever. I do believe that speed and essence and, and that type of, thing and maybe i don't want to call it speed let's call it the opposite of paralysis analysis uh intuition yeah and right maybe not intuition yeah yeah, instinct instinct, i guess would be the would be the 
the way to frame it. I do not believe in taking time. I take time to get better at writing. I don't take time to write. You know, that's yeah, you, yeah exactly. working on a song for two weeks. You're a fucking clown and an amateur and you shouldn't be in anyone's presence and you definitely shouldn't be considered a professional. You just go home. How long did it take to write Kill em All out of curiosity? <laughs> Do you want the truth about maybe six minutes or five? Probably five. Awesome. They suck. It was it was stupid in, in my opinion, but I accepted it as a challenge. Like we submitted the record. The record was done as far as I knew, but I had a friend at the label, and this is the only reason I would entertain this. And he was a jackass. I, I, he's still my friend. I talked to him the other day, but he he said something. He was missing the mark. But he but he you know, he was he worked at a record label. He completely compromised. You know, it's like ask, tell, telling a politician to ask him what he thinks about your record. <laughs> he says, you know, I, I really think this shit gets under my skin only as a request, not that it not the actual question, the question itself, not the actual request. He's like. I think it needs a heavier, a heavier song on there. It needs one more because the the record's so weird. You know, it's all over the place. Da 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 da. And I don't care what anyone says because they're just record label people. You know, but it's way easier for my spirit to just accept his challenge. Especially, you know, I was in a bed because I just got actually shot that week, and I was, and I felt bad because I got shot a couple times in the hip and the side and the in the leg, and I was laying in bed, but I didn't want to tell him that I just got blasted because I thought it would, might fuck up the contract. You know, I was just thinking crazy, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and this is the, this is the I mean, truth. it might have, you never know, you never know, you know how labels are. Yeah, this They're was like Warner Brothers and, and all this other shit. So I got my legs blown off and I'm sitting here thinking, this dude just called me, this is a fucking test of will, you know what I mean? I'm sitting here you know, I'm so low in life at this point. This is maybe the maybe one of the lowest points I've ever been. I'm laying in the street at you know three in the morning with with no street lights. You know what I mean? Just wondering if this is a little game I play. You know, maybe a car is going to come around this bend right here cooking, and and you know I'm not going to see it, and it's not going to see me because it's, it's pitch black. So this is this is my state. I'm trying to set the set the mood for you because you asked about Kill 'Em All. So you know, Kill 'Em All is not a, a three minute song. It's a it's a it's a way of life. So this is what's going on, and this guy, you know, the square. Uh, New Yorker asked me, uh, someone who will never see eye to eye with, uh, asked me about this song. And I, I got my ass blown off leg. I'm laying in the middle of the road in the middle of the night. So I take it as a challenge to to write something heavy. So I'm thinking I'm going to do the stupidest thing I can think of. I'm going to write this. I'm going to jot this down real quick. And I'm actually going to give him what he wants. It's not considered a treasure to me at all. I, I consider most things that I touch treasures, you know, and that's not feeling myself at all. I just, it, I spent time on it. That's a piece of my life, da 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 da. So I said, I'm going to make the shittiest verses and choruses. They're going to be so linear that you could literally lay them on top of each other and the syllabi will be exactly the same because it's just so dumb and cookie cutter linear no no spirit no essence like fatter on the heart you know it has a soul kill them all doesn't have a fucking soul uh it's just straight it's super uh staccato just linear monotone dot 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 very not dynamic anyway i'm like i'm gonna call it kill them all because fucking metallica you know well first off it's what i want to do i hope everyone dies by midnight Second off, it's a it's a Metallica ripoff, so that's cool. That's what they want. These fucking jokers want y this song. You know what I mean? I'm gonna just call it that because 
That's what these people that have never seen a dead person in their life want to, it's entertainment. You know what I mean? It's, 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 what do they call it? Bread and circuses for these clowns. You know what I mean? And I'm, and I'm, I'm going to, not only that, I'm going to do that. I'm going to make the song the same cadence to the chorus of our very first song, which was called Midwest Monsters. And it, that's why it took six minutes. The only, I didn't write any of it. I made up all of it. And I'm like, the course is going to be so dumb. It's going to be kill them all, kill them all, kill them all. And, and, and the only time I spent um, on the song was the bridge, which is the time I spend most of the times on the song, which is usually three minutes, getting like the articulation, uh, something new, some type of new type of vibration on the bridge is where I really stretch, try to try to stretch out, try to spread my wings and stuff. But the point was, uh, I took it as a challenge from this square and it ended up working. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> so sounds like a personal joke that it worked. It was funny. But once again, I just, I felt like I owed him the favor because I got my leg blew off and I wasn't telling him. So I was like, well, I fucking need to buy myself some time. I need to, I'm in a crack house, you know what I'm saying? With no floor. You can see down into the basement. I'm bleeding. And I'm like, this square calls my cell phone. He wants me to make a heavy song. And I'm, I felt like saying, bitch, do you even know what heavy is? (laughs) Do you want to see a tendon? You know what I mean? Like, I could just snap you a photo of this tendon that's hanging out. Yeah. So, so that was my brain was, that's what I, that's what, that's what part of me, you know, wanted to say. But the other part was like, uh, I think it's happening for a reason. I think you just need to try it and buy yourself some time for maybe this fucking hole will close up by the time he tries to, I was just trying to buy us some time. It's interesting hearing you kind of just talk about that process because it makes me think about you're saying that it's oh yeah it's really simple and really stupid yeah granted it is but i think you know in this particular is that the context and then the content being the circumstances so in the circumstances of someone that just let's say i don't know works at h&r block you know does their thing has you know family three kids when they write something they find generic, it's going to be something else. Now, you just being shot, you're in a, you know, who knows, lead poisoning, whatever the fuck's I going had on. Poison, yeah. My brain was actually, eat, my memories right. were being eaten live. Like, I, there, there, are, there are months of my life I don't, I don't have memories. Right, I remember you telling me about I that. I actually had lead poisoning and my, 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 light, my memories were being eaten. They, they, I'll never have them again. I have black. Uh, spots on my brain that there's nothing working. It doesn't work. So in in that particular state, writing something generic from that particular point of view is going to be completely, in one hand, completely wild. Now, so there's that. And then on top of it, that was the the first song we did after the pepper spray. So there's the, okay, yeah, there's, yeah, there's, okay. There's a there's a two factor. There's a two factor. Um, what do you call it? Removal from the generic you know, context, let's say, of reusing reusing cadences, et cetera, et cetera. That's sure, that's the context, but the content within that, you know what I mean? You could yell, kill them all, kill them all a hundred times, just like, I mean, you know, a million rap songs, it's just like the same line over and over, but it's it just slaps because it just has that vibe. So I think there's part of that. And it's funny because, yeah, and it's it comes from, well, the idea is sparked by, you know, someone at the label, but then it's a challenge. There's that. So yeah, it comes from a lot of different interesting places from conception to the writing, to the circumstances around it, to the recording part of it too. Yeah. 
What's the pepper spray? Oh, to get the performance, I just got pepper sprayed to hell. I just took my took my clothes off, you know what I'm saying, stood in the bathroom, opened my eyes as wide as I could, and they just sprayed me <laughs> to an oblivion, which really wasn't unusual. I got pepper sprayed at the Capitol a couple of weeks ago, and I was well prepared. So I just crawled into the booth after the dousing, and if it wore off, they'd open up the door and spray me a few little more hits, and then put the headphones on, and we tracked it. With very little breathing, and um, that's why it sounds so aggressive, like stupid. Yeah, that really noise. sucks the air out of the room. Even me being like twenty feet away from the vocal booth, I was just like, man, I, it just like gets in your throat. Yeah, so pepper spray is no joke. No, it's not really a joke, but I guess to me it is. But I just kind of was looking for something. That's how we tracked the album, anyway. Uh, went on to kill them all. Uh, next song, uh, maybe best night of my life, something like that. Track the vocals there. Next song, track the vocals there. The pepper spray spray is still hitting, but we we must have ran through five or six tracks in like one take. Yeah, I think it's about six, if I remember. Yeah. Yeah, we were just trying to catch the, I guess the essence. Like, I don't really think this is really any of it's really me. I'm kind of just thinking like I'm the vehicle, and that's kind of how it's how it turns out. So. It doesn't, I don't really, I'm not even possessive over these types of things like Kill Em All as a song or whatever it may be. Are you just kind of channeling it? Yeah, it's just, a, it's just a thing that I'm doing with my friends, you know. Yeah, they're pepper spraying me and shit, but yeah, you know, sometimes me and Josh will have, a, what I prefer is basically what he said he prefers, you know, to sit and, you know, we might have a very above average breakfast and, and you know, sit back and have some coffees and set the tone because you know this this is really a treat to me you know type of thing i eat i eat three foods and the same time at the same place the same thing every day so we're together we you know we go somewhere that is just 300 steps above what i'm used to and we get to having these choice maybe little coffee drinks or something and then we start to have a conversation about something that's stimulating which i don't get uh from day to day and then these Things happen, I guess. You know, your mind changes and you start to, new things kind of creep in. And that's why, yeah, it's just a vehicle. That day, we weren't having fine, good food and the fine coffees and the conversations. That day was, we were trying to make this album. I I remember when we made Heavy Lies, The Crown, uh, recorded it in, in the vocals. And it was, it was not the same, but it was something else. We will, if there are songs that I, that I, they, they need something, you know, you don't show up, uh, yeah, maybe I got something for you today. Maybe we're going to record some vocals. It, that shit doesn't happen. It's, you have to be, like if you're a, some type of spiritual medium, you have to be open and you have no say. Like, for example, the uh, eyes on the first record, I couldn't sing that. We didn't even, I didn't even sing that. That was me singing um, something for my girlfriend at the time that we used the recording of, right, uh, Josh? I, I couldn't go back and do the thing, the the what it, what it, what it was, the song. Oh yeah, we used the demo. We used a lot of demo vocals in the first album. So because it's a moment in time. Like Fat Around the Heart was like a one taker, right? That was the first thing I recorded. You came in and you're like, oh yeah. Like, what do you got for this? Yeah, just you wait. So you went through and banged it out in one take. 
start to finish, and, and I ended you up had using to cut most. Out even though a lot we, of the stuff because in between parts, you know, I'm talking shit. I'm like, yeah, you motherfucking gather around the fucking speakers right now because I got this shit coming. You fucking, you guys ain't shit. You, you know what I'm saying? You thought you could, you could chant. You know, sometimes Gene will be talking his little shit, whatever. Like, yo, yeah, you want to challenge the goat? You motherfucker, sit. Put your ear up to the speaker right now, bitch. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm saying this during the track, during the take. You know, because I'm trying to. Right, right, right. So a lot of that gets edited out. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why, but it's just finding the vibration, I guess, of the, the song. Sometimes you find a bad one. Sometimes you find one. Sometimes you do something and you look back like, oh, I really don't like that song. I really couldn't care less, though, you know? I, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm not I'm it's just a lesson. one person. I mean, even the worst stuff we've come up with. I think it's still, you know, it's still all right. It's still, you know, I mean, it's not, it's not terrible, but it, at the worst case scenario, it's the greatest thing you've ever heard. No, worst case scenario is, <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> the worst, worst case scenario, it's a learning, you know, experience to be like, it's like kind of seeing a video of yourself from a few years ago and you see the way you walk or you see the way you carry yourself, you see the way you're, you're interacting with somebody. You see, and you're like, oh, Okay, so I've changed. I've changed since then. I see you can kind of like put yourself back in that mental space, and you're like, "Oh, I, maybe I was onto something here, but I didn't hit the mark." Or maybe just like, "Oh, yeah, you were on some bullshit, and you thought, no, nope, not that again." So it's a good learning. Exactly. Uh, like fighting, I fight and I watch my fights. Yeah. Back on tape. Yeah. How I think I look and how I look are very two very different things. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that is that is good for you. You know, you can always tell the person. That has never looked in the mirror. Like they have never um, read what they've wrote to say the platitude, you know, the stupid, you know, thing. You deal with someone who's never actually squared off with himself. And I don't like to be that person, which, which is, which is why I try to do my most introspection and most of my deep diving as, as often as I can, which is why we even created you know, Yavid, the whole other project, which everyone, right? no one would really do this. This is not, we're, we're small, we're a small independent group. Like it would be looked at as strange or uh, completely counterintuitive. You know, it's not going to help the brand. It's, you know, which was most things that we do, but it was like a self-exploration type of journey, you know, where we were, to me, I was at the end of my pitiful rope to cool. <laughs> But we we, we we had to change gears and we wanted to explore more. And I was really like not feeling the idea of doing 12 songs every two years. I didn't want to do a song a month. I, I considered myself pro. So, I'm, you know, I got I got with Josh and we're like, well, I like to do this rap project where and, you know, we never once had the conversation where ever. Whereas, you know, what do you think people are going to think of this? You know, I don't give a <laughs> right, fuck. Right. I, I made a shitty SoundCloud and just started posting songs. It, it wasn't ever, a, there was never a consideration, but to me it was the journey and it was that type of thing that you can't necessarily really fake, you know, creating this music and putting it out. And, you know, I, I try my hardest at all of it or, or whatever, but it was an exercise to look at different well, I think it's uh, yeah I'm trying to put it together but you might have to it's a whole different skill set I mean they're related of course but it's it's like cooking let's see if you're learning I don't know some Cantonese cuisine or something or Thai and you do you know Spanish or something you're cooking still right I mean it's, there's, there's a lot of the skills there's a lot of carryover a lot of your tools will work et cetera et cetera et cetera 
But this is a very different skill set, you know, the King stuff and the Yavid stuff. And for me personally, I just, I enjoy the, the differences there as well. Sonically, there's just a whole different, I don't want to say a game Challenges. to chase, but like f- finding things that inspire me that like, oh, this is an idea. Oh, okay, what are they doing with this? And just phonetically phrasing and stuff and, and, and production ideas and things and how to put together a track that's exciting to listen to. And it's just, it's different. I mean, and then there's, but there's also lessons to be learned there that you can take and apply back. And that's, uh, it's one of the reasons I do like working with a lot of genres. And I've always liked, you know, the, the King projects because they are so varied. It's not just, I mean, most bands that I'll work with, it's very much, you know, one kind of narrow sound, like a, does that bore you? And maybe it's just my mentality, but I'll try to pry me like, hey, let's do some some lighter songs. Let's do some heavier songs. Let's, let's do something that, a question I ask when I pose this to a lot of bands and they're resistant, there's a lot of things I say. There's I, Maybe I mentioned this in the podcast last time, but I, ta- I always talk to bands about painting on the moon. You're on the moon. This is where your record's happening. You're making me a painting. I'm down here on earth looking up at it and I'm saying, all your strokes are in the same spot. And then, and then, and then what about this one? This one's way over here. Like you move 50 feet. To you, that's crazy. To me here on earth, it, it looks the same. So you got to make big moves to be you know, heard or, or to be perceived as, as different. So that's something I work on. And if I can't, and if the band is just very determined or stubborn, or they're just not in a place, or maybe maybe I'm missing, maybe that nailing that sound ten times in a row on a record is what they get set. Yeah. What if, What if they're just not good at anything else? Well, yeah, it it could be that. It could be that. I think anyone can be good at exploration, and you know what I mean. Sure. Well, you're just a you're just an ex- explorer, you know. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's one of those things. If if I can't make ground there, then it's just well, sure, maybe I can do something in the mix or something around that. You know, I'll find my, I'll get my little jollies off somewhere else. Then, if it's not creatively, then you know, creatively here, then maybe it's creatively in the mix or, or something else. But I'm always, yeah, maybe I'm just you know a glass half full kind of a guy. So you find a way to not let yourself get bored, which is awesome. No, I'm always trying to get involved in different genres of music and different ideas and different things just because it's what I want to do. It's, it's exciting. That's why I like, you know, like doing the, the video thing for you, for the nail, the mix. I don't want to, great, you know, by the way. Thanks. Yeah. I don't want to do like a normal, <laughs> like boring, like to me doing this, the typical commercial thing. That's, I don't want to do anything I don't want to do. So yeah. I have to make this something that I want to do. If it's funny, if it's serious, if it's whatever, creative and, and just out insane, as long as I'm enjoying doing it, you know what I mean? Like, it's like that that saying when people talk about certain people that say, oh, you're selling your body that doing this thing, doing your OnlyFans. It's like, what are you doing for eight hours at Home Depot? You're doing the same thing. You're training eight hours for cash. So what are you doing with your time? And for me, it's like, just, you know, make it fun. You know, you know enjoy what you're doing. Don't, you know what I mean? Like, I've done... I've worked jobs before that I just absolutely hated. I, I still try to do my best at them because you're already there. You know what I mean? I'm I'm making sandwiches at Quiznos. If I can't kill it at this, you know what I mean? Who the hell am I to think that I'm going to do something that I'm going to enjoy later on and be decent enough to be, you know, hired above somebody else? So if you're going to work and flip a burger somewhere, you might as well be good at it. You know, if you if you think you're better than it, if you know if you don't, then you might as well be good at it too. At least you can be the best thing that you that you're you know. As high, as high as you get. And maybe it'll lead to your next thing, too. I like that attitude. I kind of think about it in a similar way, too. If you're already in a situation, it's kind of on you. Uh, if you're going to have a bad time with it, that's kind of on you. 
Um, yeah. All we have are experiences. Yeah. I think maybe that's another reason that we connect. Maybe just that attitude, and and it's it's one of those things. I just had these realizations the last few years that growing up, maybe I did have a lot less than I kind of realized. Just talking to other people, like man, I didn't have that. I didn't have this. I never focused on it. I always just. I just enjoyed myself and my parents always made sure that that wasn't the focus. It was never that excuse like we talked about, right? Oh, if I only had this, yeah. then we could have that. My parents my parents never, ever complained about money. I mean, yeah, we were frugal, but it's just one of those things that I think with David's upbringing also, um, making the best of your situation. That's, people say it all the time, but like, I mean, really, <laughs> there, you know what I mean? It makes me think of you watch some of these clips on the news or something of these kids in like some war-torn country and there's demolished buildings, and they're but they're playing with stones in the street, and there's you can hear bombs going off in the background because, yeah. again, you can you can only I think your brain is only capable of emergency, only set amount, and then the rest is just you're just living your life and trying to make the best of it. So, yeah, I think that's you know as much as uh, as much as this guy's depressive and you know suicidal, but I think that's something we do connect on. Do you think that that's an autopilot or does it take effort? I would say it definitely takes effort. Yeah, no, absolutely. It does for me. I would say I would cut it in half because I would ask what, what you mean as far as, you know, when he was talking about growing, growing up as a kid, he didn't realize it till later that he didn't have so much. And, and you don't as, as you're a kid. But the reason why I would say that it's a bit nuanced is I believe you probably only realized that because your parents were good. They didn't uh, put the emphasis yeah. there. And that was right, exactly. nothing that had nothing to do with you. You know, it it was part of the nurture, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's one of those things. Like I remember we had a conversation, we were talking about different, you know, privileges that people, you know, that's it's a topic of conversation. I think that it's there's a subtlety there that people don't think about. And that's something that I feel like, yeah, that's that's something that I can't imagine, you know, growing up in a home where like the parents are oh complaining, oh, I can't do this and I can't do that. And they blame other people or they're catty about stuff. And that's something, you know, I mean, I was, you know, my dad is like the hardest working person I know, just, you know, constantly doing something, constantly, you know, we, I lived in two different houses that he built, wired, did plumbing, and he's colorblind. You know what I mean? Can you imagine wiring a house being completely colorblind? No excuses. I didn't even realize he was colorblind. Maybe it was in passing when I was a kid. But again, one of those things, it's not complaining about these things, but working with what you have and making the best of the, you know, the situation. So I picked up on that. I picked up on his work ethic. You know, and, you know, my mom's, you know, emotional side and stuff like that. So I, I feel like, you know, I lucked out with some pretty good parents and a pretty decent upbringing. Whereas, you know, with David, it's kind of, you know, <laughs> maybe the exact opposite. <laughs> yeah. Kind of the exact opposite. Kind of luck. I'm lucky to be alive right. today. And to me, that right. is the, that's the best um, thing I have. That's the biggest take home because I... I sure most days wish I, I had a different brain or a different set of experiences, but this is what I got. So you know, we're talking about awareness a lot. You did say that the only way to get awareness is through experience. Do you think that it has to be bad experiences or just experience? Period. I don't think there's such thing as a bad or good experience. The awareness thing, I think it might come from a lack of stimuli, and that's something I think I'm realizing now. As I realized, yeah, there's many years in my formative childhood years where, like I said, we didn't have much. So it was on me to entertain myself. So you're kind of put into a situation where you have to be aware. 
or you know what I mean? Or else you just go nuts. You know what I mean? You'll be bored to tears because you don't have a ton of toys. You don't have, you know, a lot of opportunity to do different things. You're out. You're living out in the sticks. You you know you can't just get on your bike and drive into town. Um, so the awareness came from just you know just coping with your existence. And I think David comes from a, but from a very different angle, right? You know what I mean? Like your awareness comes out of, you know, sense of survival, you know what I mean? And stuff like yeah. that. Situational so awareness maybe that's, is what they call it in the military. Exactly. So I think it's something that we have in common, but it comes from a, a very different, maybe some ways similar, but, you know, in a lot of ways different background. So we kind of meet in the middle somewheres. And I think there's a novelty and, and it's something that we, when we get together, we learn, we'll have conversation and, and we'll disagree on a lot of stuff, but I enjoy that. I, I don't like living in an echo chamber. I like to, you know what I mean? I don't care. You know, again, great ideas can come from stupid people and it's hard to really, uh, you know, take it sometimes. And, and the opposite's true too, but I like to, I, I like I said, I like to have, you know, the dialogue that we have is, is always interesting. And like I said, there's a lot we have in common, but a lot that's also very different. I don't know if it's modern. I don't think it's modern. I think it's just part of the human experience. But that need to live in an echo chamber. Validation. You think that's what it is? Yeah, it's validation. If you say echo chamber, I say yeah, I would say I would say validation. But if you change the term, I would say other things. Well, what would you change the term to? Uh, well, we talk about always path of least resistance. Oh, yeah. There you go. Satisficing, which is the external type of the hedonic treadmill we were already talking about, I would say foregoing responsibility. To me, that's not an echo chamber uh, department, you know, and it's also not a path of mm. least resistance. I think also the victim, victimization or victimhood is a sick disease that also doesn't belong in the echo chamber. I think all these things happen at once. I think everyone is guilty to some degree, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't think when people go out and start talking, um, they hope that everyone nods and agrees because, for example, conspiracy theorists, right? Which I <laughs> right, hate the I'm word already conspiracy. laughing. Yes, there you go. Boom. You see, I did it. But um, I hate the word, first off, because my argument is um, everything that is believed today used to be called, laughed at and called conspiracy. You know what I mean? You know how people today are like, you know, Project Mockingbird. But like Mockingbird was a conspiracy 30 years ago. But since we have the right. great... We the Earth being round was a right, conspiracy. Ex exactly. We have the great foresight today. We just arrogantly walk around like a bunch of fucking idiots acting like we know what That's goes true. on because science just declared it true. But um, anyway. Standing on the shoulders of giants. Exactly. This isn't necessarily an echo chamber. This is more of a, a signaling outward type of thing where... A conspiracy theorist, I was thinking about this uh, a few months ago, aside from lending themselves to all the algorithmic black holes that make their frail brain end up in that place, I don't really want to talk about the cause because it, it doesn't matter. Um, when a conspiracy theorist talks to you, this comes back to awareness. And, and this, to me, is um, it's a definition of the echo chamber, but not a definition of the Venn diagram falls in echo chamber, it falls in victimhood, it falls in path of least resistance and foregoing responsibility, which are four big yep. ones to me. Yep. Um, what they do is they, they, have you ever noticed a conspiracy theorist never asks you anything? They, they only say, <laughs> yes. I got, I'm hit to this exclusive, what I, I love the term, privileged information via my Android <laughs> phone. 
You know, I just found out something that <laughs> no one knows. You know, I got an Android. I'm going crazy. I got this privileged information. Have you ever noticed when a conspiracy... The government's trying to cover it up. <laughs> As you just Google it, it was the first result off Google. Right, and the right, government's right. trying to cover it up. Okay, Google, All right. the worst company. They say, check out this. And they never... You know, when you have a conversation with someone now, like we are talking, I'll say something probably too long-winded, too verbose. Then you say a little short sentence and then, you know, random says something that's probably a little bit more sensible than me. And then we, you know, we're taking turns. We're thinking about it. Oh, what, what was that? And he said that it's an exchange. When a conspiracy theorist says something to you, it's nothing but a posture. He's not trying to, for example, if you call me and you say, uh, hey, I noticed that you... You eat pretty well. Um, one of your very few achievements. Um, do you think you could help me with some nutrition? <laughs> and I say, uh, yeah, this is what I think we should do. You asked me for something. We had a conversation. You know, I, I got this. Or right, right. If, if I ask you, you know, I ask, I ask random everything. I call, you know, we were talking before this because I had to make sure I knew how to use Zoom or, or microphone or whatever because I'm so stupid when it comes to pretty much anything that you have to do with a wire. So everything, but that's not in your two hands. Anyway, the point is, it's not an exchange and it's not a conversation. What they want to demonstrate is, I know something you don't know, just so right. you know. I'm not willing to hear what you have to say back. I'm not willing to listen to what you what you might think. Even if you have contrary information that's actually true, that, you know, provable, whatever it might be, it doesn't right. matter. What they want to do is they want to posture. They want to let you know, hey, yeah, you might have a job and a car and the kids and the success and all this other shit, but guess what I know? So I know something you don't, buddy. And that to me is echo chamber. Number one, they re they're what I call their information streets one way. They're only receiving stimuli. They're not willing. Again, remember what we were talking about? I said, like, I watch videos of my fights. They're not willing to enter into the ring and really compete with ideas, maybe wrestle around with uh, thought experiments and introspection and other types of alternate They're trying to use ideas. the cheat code. Exactly. Their information is only one way. It's, I read this, and that's what it is. And now, instead of me being like, again, you might ask for nutrition advice, I might ask you for technical advice, things like that. I don't do that. I go tell you something, brah, 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 brah. Yeah, just so just so you know, rah, rah, rah. you know what I mean. I just I just told you what the fuck that I can't confirm at all, and then I'm just on on to the next thing. Like there you go, I blessed you. There's your piece of information. Time for the next conspiracy theory. Exactly, and it, it does all those things though. The echo chamber. You you know you you have you can be alone with your cell phone, getting all your information. You forego responsibility because because of this victimhood, this this world that is just you are the biggest victim of circumstance. And yeah, I would lift my finger to go scratch my ass, but the fucking Bill Gates is trying to fucking goddamn give us this goddamn. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. I, I can't I can't wipe my own ass, and I, I won't get out of my mom's basement because <laughs> you know uh someone blew up the twin towers and it's it's like listen man if all these things are true it really still don't matter you know <laughs> right some of some of them are true and it doesn't matter exactly i always say okay uh consider it's true or, or whatever yeah you know? uh what well, uh, me and you still sit here and have this conversation even in your universe so what is coming out the other end? Right. It's like the flat earth thing, right? Like how would your life be any different? Well, let's say it is true. Okay. So then what? Well, what? Who benefits? Then we just scream it in each other's faces until, until we, what, till what? what? 
when people tell me this shit, first off, I'm like, well, I don't really care. I mean, if all these things were true, I still wouldn't care because I don't care when everyone dies. I, it doesn't it doesn't matter to me. Like you to bring the political things to my doorstep, and I'm like, oh, if someone else died, that's awesome. It's not going to make you any better or worse. The guitar, great. I remember when Snowden came out with uh, all that info about uh, spying, and everybody flipped out. You know, conspiracy theorists basically got validated and went. It turned everything up to 11, basically, with uh, the you're getting tracked nonsense. It's not nonsense. It's actually happening. But what I was wondering the whole time is, uh, first of all, is this a surprise? And second of all, why do you care? It's so out of your hands. Why do you care so much? Like, why is this so important to you? I mean, we all give up that stuff voluntarily. Yeah. Yeah, we have for years. Yeah, that's what I was I was going to say. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm a constitutionalist. I believe I love the country. It's the best place in the world. I think this is the best everything. I don't agree, obviously, with all the politics and all the uh, bullshit that whatever might be going on at any given year, month, week, or whatever. Aldous Huxley said, said in Brave New World, he commented on George Orwell when he talks about Big Brother, you know, doing exactly what, what they're doing today. Uh, Huxley said, Orwell is a little bit different. They're not going to take things from you. Uh, you're going to voluntarily hand them over. To me, that's today. That's all these terms of services, these agreements, this uh, click oh, yeah. to subscribe, did, 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 all that. It's uh, we're voluntarily giving it away. So how stupid do you look? You know what I mean? As you sit there and say it. <laughs> yeah. Like, how is this a surprise? Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I don't agree with any of it. I don't believe any of these companies are worth a fuck. I hope bad things happen to all the Googles and the Facebooks and the things of the world because, in my opinion, they're not real companies. Their product is information they steal. So that's not necessarily a product. They make it, you believe you, that, you know, the product is this thing that you need to use. But to me, again, that's people's fault, not theirs. They call that finessing. It's called finessing. That's when you finesse someone. That's Zuckerberg finessed you. You think you need to stay connected to family members. You didn't know there was already or the Zoom call we're on. What's the difference between the green circle that says Skype and the blue square that says Zoom? It's just, it's nothing. It's stupid. It's all bullshit. In two years, there will be no such thing as a Zoom and everyone will be recalling novelty retromania ideas about how when they got through COVID through Zoom. And it'll be a new company that everyone's pushing because of Nobody knows why, and there's an invisible hand dropping something in front of you, and you can't really quite put it together. But is any of that surprising when you realize it? No, but it kind of, it kind of, it kind of doesn't, doesn't surprise. I don't have a surprising emotion button. It doesn't really matter though. I, there are things that, there are things you don't don't seem inherently reasonable. I guess. What do you mean by that? It's like when something happens and people kind of explain it away, uh, it kind of doesn't matter. Like uh, the surprise factor, what does it matter? How surprised someone may be. I guess I would, I would ask you what you mean more so. Okay, good question. What I mean is uh, these things that are happening around us that are obvious. Why do people act like they're a novelty? when they're clearly not like how do people not realize like you're saying you give this stuff away you've been doing it voluntarily for forever now when someone comes out and says that that's what's happening everybody acts like it's this giant revelation and uh like they're surprised and that is 
kind of perplexing to me. I guess that part is surprising to me. Cause, is, uh, it aware, is it awareness? Are we coming back full circle again? Yeah, probably because so. Because you are posting, you're posting pictures and tagging yourself at this restaurant. You're leaving the Yelp review. You're posting your location on the Instagram. You're, you're using the GPS to get around town. You're constantly sending out and receiving data uh, that is location specific or that you're, you know what I mean? Like I've always found it like if I want to be like, you know, if I want to go, you know, hit some houses, I'd be just checking people's grams. Oh, oh, cool. You're in Cancun. <laughs> I know where to go. I know where you live. You know, it's just one of those things like it's, but beyond the security, as far as like, you know, privacy and, and that kind of a thing, it's, oh yeah, yeah, we give it up. But the people that are surprised by it, again, it come, to me comes back to awareness. It's like, you, you do all these things and you don't think about them. I think the truth was that most people, they don't care. A lot of the people that yeah. were surprised were, um, I guess, in that demographic that, uh, for example... We watched the narrative spin on Snowden, right? Snowden was the biggest traitor in the world five years ago, you know, um, six, seven years ago. Uh, mm -hmm. It might have been more. I can't remember. But, um, you know, they were the biggest traitor in the world. He was doing this, that, and the other thing, and he had to be hunted down. The same, the same was true with, with Julian Assange. One side of the country thought he was a, a complete hero until he released Hillary's emails. Then he was a Russian uh, shill. You know, Snowden was the biggest traitor in the world until, you know, freedom of information, X, Y, and Z. Fast forward five years, and now he's an American hero that uh, people think it's pretty agreeable that he gets a uh, a pardon or or whatever. And this was like mainstream media angles. You know, every, each year at Trans, it it was a it was a bit more of a twisted narrative. To me, that that doesn't represent the majority. I think I think ninety nine percent of people, which again is is why I don't think we're talking about them. I think these things that we're talking about, you know, it's us three on the line. There's not three million people on the line. It's I think a lot of people feel this way. I don't think most people feel this way though. And I think the way that it goes is when you talk about the surprise factor, it reminds me of putting a frog in hot water and it jumps out. But if you put it in cold water and slowly boil it, it, it stays in and boils to death. It's a it's a process of of that little by little. It's 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 why people don't want things like gun control and things like that is because you see the steps, you know what happens when you have certain things, you know, slippery slope, they have ideologies built around this stuff. Right, right. You know, Censorship this stuff would have been surprising 30 years ago. And the idea that it's not surprising now should be worrisome because we're being boiled. We are the, the frog in the water that's, that's just slowly being boiled. And people are saying, well, I don't see nothing wrong with that. One day at a time, everyone in Eight out of ten people are saying, well, I don't see nothing wrong. Oh, you, yeah, you know, uh, with anything, any politicized piece of information that's completely compromised, that's floating around out there, there's a completely reasonable person that'll sit there and go, I don't see anything wrong with that. And then before you know it, you're at Auschwitz. And you, you didn't, don't know how you <laughs> ended up there, but there's hundreds of books about it from people that will tell you flat out, you know, this is how you ended up here. You volunteered right. this one day at a time for X amount of years. And now you have a completely worthless, pointless, indifferent, complacent uh, victim of circumstance who's just going to end up however the world's going to end up. Do you think then the people who, are, who act the most surprised are just a vocal minority? 
Yes, for sure. I think everything is the minority. Yeah, that's mostly, I think, of what what, what goes around the news, right? When you hear, you always hear, the, the extreme is what makes the headlines. It's not the... The boring middle. The, right, the boring middle, exactly. It's... I've, I've thought about this and I had a bit of a realization recently about and why, why that is. Why is it that everything today is very extreme in terms of something, piece of information comes out, are you on this side or are you on that side? And I think, I think it's one of those things where I think about the, the information I'm exposed to today versus being a kid in the 80s, right? Especially a kid in the 80s living, living in Canada and especially in the country and especially not having cable, et cetera. So my slice of media on a given day, my slice of information and, and, and that kind of stuff is very narrow. You know what I mean? Even, I would have to, hey, Dad, can you drive me into town? Can we go to the library if I want to look up something? That's literally what would have to happen. Today, I'm looking to my right. I have an iPad. I'm sitting in front of a computer. I have another screen left to me. I have, just in this room alone, I have more access to information than the entire town I grew up in, probably the, the entire uh, province for that matter. So... I'm exposed to so much more information to both um, absorb and react to. So as a kid, there's more room for subtlety, right? Because I only have the same amount of brain, the same capacity to read and react. But now it's literally thousands and thousands of times more. So it's bi- it becomes binary. It becomes yes or no. It becomes yes, extreme, love this thing. Yes, no, extreme, hate this thing. And you see that across the board for a lot of issues that are a lot more nuanced than the, the vocal minority love to, you know, paint it one with the other. And it's it's easier to process, right? Like people want the easy solution. Again, we talk about the victimhood thing and when it's a when it's a difficult gradient thing to look at, it's yeah, it, people don't like that. They, you know, I mean you, you don't you don't like to have a a gray area when it comes to certain things and some some critical things too. It's Ray Kurzweil's the singularity, right? It's this uh, as right. far as compound yeah, information yeah. goes. And then when you throw in very unnatural devices like you know, something like a media agenda or something like a narrative spinning and sure. things like that. You just sure, mix yeah. the pot very, it's just, it's not really in a good way. Sure. Do you think it's just too much info for what humans have evolved to? I shouldn't even know you. You should, we shouldn't have this conversation. <laughs> Why do I know you? I don't even know where you live. Like none of this shit should be happening. And it's, it's not a big deal because right. we have, we seem to be having a, a good conversation by any stretch of our own imagination, but Ray Kurzweil, again, the singularity, when you start compounding this type of stuff... Everything is compounded, yeah. When you start compounding and weaponizing information, that's where I just become turned off. <laughs> You're kind of exposed to the problems of 8 billion people, right? Like like A.L. was saying, is it too much Is it too much information? Well, I mean, it's it's more than what we've ever known, right? Like, like at what point was it like? And very quickly too. At what point was the was the was the penguin spending too much time in the water? Right? It's clearly a bird, but it can't fly. It's <laughs> terrible on the land. At what point did the penguin? Oh, we're spending too much time in the water. Well, I mean, we're adaptive. We can adapt to this information, but I think it is very. Um, it's very strenuous, I think, on society to change this quickly, right? Anytime there's a, a massive change and to go from my lifetime of a small sliver of like three or four channels would come in clear in the rabbit ears, that's about it. The house we had, maybe a handful of books other than the Bible, maybe a couple other little things. So that's the information. So, And that's the information that my parents were exposed to and their grandparents and literally billions of years before them. In the last 30 years or so, it's just compounded to such an extreme degree. Like people don't really appreciate the amount of 
emotional information we're exposed to. Like you see all these, you know, heartbreaking stories that go on. So you become desensitized to it when you kind of shouldn't in some ways because you do want change, but it gets drummed up for political reasons, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we're really bombarded, yeah, with information, but also socially, emotionally, and all these other Stimuli. things. And it, it really, right. And, it, and it, it puts you in a situation where you have to say yes or no. Here's this person. Are they a good person or a bad person? Uh, okay, well, cancel them. Cancel them, and all their art goes in the trash too. And I can't. You know, it's I don't have the answers for that kind of stuff. But I think the answer I do have is is to think about it more, and and to really you know you know be critical and not just so on off switch to really consider the gradients and consider less, you know what I mean? Like try to limit the amount of things and and like like we were talking about too. Like what actually does affect you? You know, does this thing actually affect you? Does it not? Everything's related, and it's it's a difficult thing. It's a very difficult thing to really even give any advice on because I just just contemplating it is is can be overwhelming if you really try to you know give yourself the gravity of what has happened in the last thirty years in terms of what you're exposed to in terms of ideas, culture. You know, like I said, emotional stories, political things, information. It's just yeah, it's crazy. It's it's really overwhelming. Is that why you take your annual uh, internet break? Oh yeah, that's part of it for sure. I, I'm doing that. I, I've decided this year I want to do it four times a year. I'm I'm doing oh, one in March, good. one in for how long? Uh, usually weeks at a time, uh, minimum of two weeks for sure. This was a month from December to January, though, right? Yeah, I enjoy. I I really kind of dreaded coming back in a lot of ways, but I don't blame you. <laughs> there's, but here's the thing: it's again because people say, "Oh, social media bad." No, there are bad things about it for sure. And there are great things about it. Like I met my wife online. You know what I mean? Like we never grew up in the same town. We met right. when the internet was still just kind of like uh, burgeoning in the 90s. So at that point, just by virtue of getting online and chatting, we already had a ton of things in common. You already had to be pretty savvy with a computer. You know, whereas now you just you get on the phone and click a, an icon and there you are. So, but anyhow, yeah, I don't want to say social media is bad because there's a lot of good things about it. But at the same time, for me, it's being overexposed to certain things. Not that I really care about it too much to begin with, but I, I find myself sometimes getting to habits of like, oh, I got to check to see what so-and-so is doing. Oh, I got to check to see what's new in the music, da 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 And I found myself like before my break or after, you know, actually as soon as I started my break, I found myself clicking on like, you know what I mean, like Twitter or like uh, Instagram or something out of habit. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like as soon as I open it, I just the force of habit, the muscle memory was there. So I just, I move all these icons into a folder and just put that on the last page of my device. So that way I'm not even out of muscle memory. It's, and I don't use it that much. Like I'm on social media a few minutes a day. I really don't like spending much time of it at all. But, you know, to keep up with business, of course, and that kind of a thing. But there are good things. I don't want to say it's a bad thing. There are good things, but I feel like with any evolution, there's going to be dark side to it always like there's nothing in this world that's just like david said it's not good or bad there's going to be things that help you and things that hurt you and i think that with uh with social media one of the main things that is hurtful in my opinion is too much shit and making it expected that uh that you care about every single problem in the world or that you're available or the, you know, I mean, that's that's another thing with social media. Like, it, then you start people thinking you're available. Oh, check out this, Haiti. I, I got a mix note for you at like eleven in the at night, or at three a.m. or at six. You know what I mean? I call so it summoning, you become, and I always tell someone like, "No, you you actually can't <laughs> summon me. You don't have enough mana." 
Like you, and that what goes for anything. <laughs> my my phone doesn't have a ringer. My 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 I don't do the social media thing. Like I, I can't be summoned. <laughs> but people want to be able to summon you at will. Sure, that's no good. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a misrepresentation as far as you said. You know, eight billion people and the internet's full of mainly a bunch of junk. I believe that to be true. That the world is full of mainly a bunch of junk uh, via human beings. I don't believe it to be a misrepresentation. I do believe it to be overstimulated. I agree. People that like, say, for example, we make music, right? People that like your music, they feel entitled to a certain bit of access to you. And I already have a rep. The reputation I have is rude or mean or cold or whatever. And I really don't mind that because it's all true. But I don't feel like I owe anyone anything. I, I appreciate everyone that likes anything we do. But the truth is, if we're playing a show... And there's, I always say this, a hundred people in the crowd. I hope there's more than that, but sometimes maybe it's a rough day Monday and there's a hundred people in the crowd. I'm probably not going to like maybe, I don't know, 99 of those, probably more. And you can't sit and act like you will. You know, like what if five of those dudes go home and beat their old ladies? What if six people drive home drunk and kill some, you know what I mean? You can't just think this whole room of people is just jiving with you. You know what I mean? Right. You share the one thing in common. Right. You We, we have one that's right it. here right now and that's it. Like, yeah, maybe there will be another one, but I'm not looking to the future. I'm not looking to the past. I mean, I'm here right now. This is what we're doing. This is all I'm willing to share with you. You know what I mean? And when I leave, mm -hmm. I'm going to go to the next thing. If I come back, then it'll be that much better. But I always find that is rewarding that, you know, not being constantly accessible on the social media. Most of the time I make my friends use it for me, which people hate because they act like they get access to me. But when they don't get it, they cry. To me, it's, it's more like, uh, treasured, you know, uh, an interaction is, you know, I don't, I don't message you or anything on the, or anyone that I actually know or give a fuck about on the Instagram or the whatever. I don't, I don't have the Facebook or nothing like that, but like, I'm not looking for that. That's not what it is. Maybe that's another one of the reasons I'm, I'm drawn to the behind the scenes part of music as opposed to, because I did the band thing for a while and I found it unappealing after a while. You know, I enjoyed it, but like what I liked about the behind the scenes stuff is like no one cares about you. Yeah, the trade-off wasn't worth it. You're right. Some people, of course, you know, know, know me for some work, but like the general public, doesn't know who Rick Rubin is. You know what I mean? They don't know, they barely know Quincy Jones. You know what I mean? Like you can be the goat of all time as a producer and you could walk into Meyer and, you know, I mean, most people wouldn't recognize you. So that part about it, I find extremely appealing the ability to work on art and to collaborate with people that, you know, cool people with stuff and disappear where they're not, you know, yeah, I'm on social media, but the thing, I'm not getting hit up by a million people. That's not really about it. Yeah, sometimes people will bother me for a few things, and it's maybe funny for a screen grab or sometimes, but it isn't It isn't a chore whatsoever. And I don't mind answering questions, but it's it's not constant. Like with you, I'm sure you get your, you know, your inbox on your, on your gram alone is probably, you know, some kind of horror show. It's hell. You know, there's spillover on on my side of things as as is. But it's, it's yeah, that's that's one of those things where like, it's, it's different for everybody, you know what I mean? Yeah, some people probably enjoy it, but whatever. Another thing that I was thinking about when, when you were talking, it was two things. The thing that we were talking about with the 
you know, we're evolved to do so much uh, X, Y, and Z. And you were talking about your, you know, your experience, uh, your your parents in 30 billion years, the penguin in the water. It reminds me of yeah. the female anatomy. This is an imposturing method, but I thought it was interesting when I learned, I'll say learned, although I guess maybe it'll be disproven in a few years and it'll be a hate speech. But the human beings kind of evolved quicker than physically than than biologically as far as uh, when a deer, we've talked about this before, or a giraffe or, or another mammal drops a kid out of its ass, it hits the yeah. ground and it starts to walk, uh, you know, within minutes. Human beings are... I don't know, years worth of more, you know. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of investment. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of downtime. And and human beings have evolved quicker than the actual female, female anatomy. There's the reason why childbirth is so painful is because the hips have not widened. The, the people, the, the babies have outperformed the hips essentially where the female anatomy, the hips have not gotten to the point where they can painlessly dump a kid out. Like all these other <laughs> mammals, you know what I mean? Childbirth is still... Is that because of our upright walking? That is part of it, actually. That's what I was kind of good at guess. That is yeah. even with the the, um, the soft skull of, of the child is because it has to be pliable because it's about to be forced out something that's too small. And it's not like that with a lot of mammals. Most most mammals shit out kids and and they're three years beyond what what, six of them exactly multiple ones at a time and and we don't do that exactly that's that's a good scenario to me for technology a good a good metaphor as far as um you know again ray kurzweil's singularity it is compounding and outperforming us the 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 female hips is like a good uh, metaphor for a biological case for one end out out evolving the other you know they're the hips are still on a slow like they're getting wider and they're doing whatever they may be doing but this is macro what we're seeing you know what i mean even our hundred years is just a it's it's nothing it it doesn't doesn't mean anything it's we're talking about billions of years of evolution right do you think that we're seeing that in music and recording too where the technological advancement went faster than people's uh, artistic advancement and that's why we have so many people that are the preset types i think that's counterculture you think it's I, counter i believe the technological advancement has aided in the the assault on the artistic endeavor if you can chew on that one i guess I think it does nothing, but it, it it assists you in not being artistic. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. I would say that yeah, all of these things available are a threat. Yeah, it's it's interesting because there's a convenience to it, but there's also uh, a mindlessness to it and, a, and an unawareness to it. Like when I did that commercial, for example, I could have just used a filter, right? I could use a VHS filter. No, no, no. I, I'm going to get out the camera, the actual VHS camera. I'm going to record it to tape just to make it. Well, okay. So on one hand, sure, it's authentic then. And, and you know what I mean? And it just looks like it's from like a different era. <laughs> but beyond that, you're making different decisions because of those things. Because you have these, um, you're thinking about what you're doing differently. It's like if I'm doing stuff to tape, you know what I mean? If I'm recording, like I have like this solo project I've been working on for a while. That's just, I have a million rules. It's all about sitting rules and about no click tracks, no, you know, editing, no, no sounds that I can't make in the real world. The French cinema maison say. I was thinking. I was thinking about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Setting myself a bunch of rules. So 
which is kind of the opposite. You think, oh, well, you know, being limitless with digital recording, then then it's the buffet again, all over again, right? But mm-hmm. I like the I like the rules. I like setting myself up certain do's and don'ts um, with per project, right? Like not like an overall thing, an overall recording. Then then I think that maybe that's not it. But for project to project, I do like to set certain rules to operate within. It just, I don't know, it just, it's a good way to focus and to find something and to, you know, sometimes limiting yourself in that way. Like, I guess that's also the goal of writing quickly. Maybe that comes from the same place of like when you're setting a constraint now with time, it forces you to act instinctually. Maybe that's the same thing. Like, okay, well, you're shooting this in VHS. Well, I don't have a million options. I can't set the widescreen. I can't set the, the aperture, da, 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 da. I just have to shoot it. I just have, oh, it looks like shit. Okay, then throw another light on it. Okay, this thing ain't working. You know what I mean? It's, it, like I said, it's, it's, it's more focused that way. That's actually why I, we, at URM, kind of encourage people to try to mix a little bit more quickly. It's not about cutting corners or anything like that. No corner cutting. We're not encouraging that. We're encouraging that they don't go down these idiotic rabbit holes. No, no, because everyone sucks. That's the thing. Like yeah. The thing you have to realize, and I'm always learning too, the second you stop learning, just shoot yourself. You're done. Always learn. You always have to be available. And this really can apply to anything when it comes to just information about the world. But like, you suck. We all suck. Anybody listen to this, you suck at mixing too. We all suck. So <laughs> the thing to do is... Always learn and, and and working quickly is a way to is the way to always improve. You'll never be perfect, but you can always improve. And I think it was like the analogy about the I think it was Adam from Lorna Shore was talking about some analogy about building tables where they had he said there was like two groups of people. I don't know, maybe a dozen each, let's say. One group of people, you have a month to build the perfect table. Okay. The next group of a dozen people, same time frame, you have a month, build as many tables as you can. At the end of the month, <laughs> the group with the the best quality table was the one that was billing a ton of them, because yep. because you are getting experience by putting this together. You're not like you're going down a rabbit hole. It's like for what though? Like you don't have a skill set to really. That's not going to you know show you anything. You're just looking at EQ curves and you're mixing with your eyeballs. Or, you know what I mean? Like you're not actually getting anything done. I mean, you might have fun and that's fine, but if you're actually looking to improve your craft, you have to understand that you suck. And me doing this 15 years, I realized that. I'm nowhere near where I want to be yet. There's a lot, you know, I, I like my work, but, you know, and I'm satisfied with a lot of it, but at the same time, just like, no, 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 there's, there's still a lot that I can improve, obviously. There's a lot of stuff that's never been done in audio. Like, think of, we, the only things we can think of that have been done in audio is the stuff we've heard. You know what I mean? It's like, what's that? I was listening to some podcast about, about this um, black cheerleading team and about how the controversy of them doing this new style is like, hey, you can't be what you can't see. So what do you what do you do in audio when you haven't heard it before? And I'm always trying to think of different things and different ways to get to stuff because like it's when someone looks at themselves and they say, oh, I, I'm not, I'm suck. I'm not as good as Andy Wallace. Okay, well, he did that sound. Is that, what is that, the ultimate sound? I mean, that's his sound and that worked for Rage and that worked for Nirvana and that kind of a thing. And maybe it's a uh, you know, something you use as an inspiration to like inform your decision about something else. But I'm always interested in all the sounds that haven't been done, all the combinations. Like it's like cooking, like, you know, all this fusion stuff or whatever. You know what I mean? Like your whole world of culinary art was fine when you didn't know about sushi and all of a sudden you, you discover sushi and it's a whole different thing. So I'm always trying to just keep my ear and my mind out for you know, just just new stuff that way and just kind of be open and receptive to it. And part of that is having to acknowledge the fact that, yeah, you suck. I mean, not like when I say that, I don't mean that like, oh, yeah, I'm awful. But you know what I mean? It's it's the humbling 
and opening yourself up to information. Get the ego out of it and be receptive to information. And, you know, think about it critically and think about your own work critically and, and, and that kind of thing. Well, I mean, you always suck compared to your ideal, right? Sure, but sometimes I don't know what that is exactly. You know, if I'm working with an artist and I don't know what the ideal is just yet. You know, it, it could come is from... Is this something that you discover? Um, a lot of times, yeah. It comes through conversation. It comes through, what's your influence? Oh, you like this thing. Like I was working with some metal band and it became quite clear that the vocalist was in the wrong band. He had cowboy hats on, cowboy boots, that kind of thing. But, I mean, I say wrong band. But when I talked to him and talked about his lyrics, because he was, you know, struggling with stuff, like, well, what are your influences? Oh, like Wayne, Wayne Jennings and stuff, and some old country artists. And he was afraid to bring that into metal. I'm like, no, 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 you got something good happening here, because this is this doesn't happen that often where someone in a metal band has this kind of influence and style about their. It's like you know, this. This is a combination that is interesting. It's not. It's a. It's it's something you know off the beaten path that can give you and the band something unique. Because identity, to me, I think I talked about that in the last podcast, is the most important thing you can have as an artist. And to circle it back around to this one, that's one of the reasons why I was just so keen to work with David and the King stuff, uh, you know, from way back before we even met, just because it was interesting and it had an identity. It had reason for the sound. You know, and that's something I think I talked about in the last podcast, too. Like, what's, what's your reason for hooting and hollering? I mean, it sounds cool, but like when there's an actual thought about it, when there's an actual, like there are actually interesting things to be angry about. That's why I always like Rage Against the Machine. I'm like, man, this guy's talking about some real shit. Like, damn, like there's, there's some, this dude's pissed and he has every right to be. Real to him, no matter what. Exactly. If you agree with him or not, it's real to him and you can feel that. Exactly. The technology thing I just think is interesting because you're at the beginning of the conversation, you were talking about preset types as opposed to idea people. Isn't that what you said? Like preset people settings, versus idea people. Settings, right? settings, 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 people. settings, settings, yeah. settings, 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 people. Okay, yeah, settings, people. And I was repeating it like that, not to scold you, but because that's what they, it's their obsession. They just, just scratch their neck, yes, like yes. settings, 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 setting, what's the settings, what's the setting? That's exactly it. And uh, I think that now, because of the amount of information that's available out there, people can fake, they can like trick themselves into thinking that they're, a lot better than they actually are because they know settings and they're getting settings. And so they're like constructing this uh, facade of quality that only works in like this one particular situation that they're using it in. But then the moment that they have to try something different, it crumbles because it's not an actual skill based on actual ideas. And I think that the only reason we have that situation is because of the technology evolving and because of the ability to get information being so in our faces all the time. Whereas I think in earlier eras, people who were not that skilled wouldn't have been able to, they wouldn't have been able to get access to, I guess, actual privileged information and they wouldn't have the opportunity to display uh, their, I guess, their work, um, really even get into the conversation because uh, they wouldn't even get taken seriously. Exactly. I think I, th- I like the idea of uh, some type of gladiator ring. Like you wouldn't have made it far because your idea would have gen- been challenged quickly because there is only so many avenues that, that you may express your idea. And if it's in a real conversation and, you know, it's 1940, someone's just going to tell you that you're full of shit. 
it doesn't really happen to today, but you know, me and Josh always use the term parroting. You know, a parrot can repeat what it hears, but it doesn't actually talk. It can't talk. It can't have a conversation. It can only repeat what it hears. And I think what you're talking about is it's an unchecked ideology. You know, it's a parrot. It's a parroting. You know, they they walk around repeating these uh, platitudes and these stupid sayings, and they go their whole life repeating them because they're not challenged. You know, when when you take all these facades away, and maybe say 50 years ago, you couldn't really go around doing anything. Well, first off, you couldn't live in your mom's basement because there was no basements. But if there was a basement, <laughs> you didn't have anything down there to to play with. So you would have to come out into the world and you would have to present your ideas. And kind of goes back to the idea of, you know, watching tape of you fight. You know, you're, you're, the, the belief that you have these skills, you know, they get challenged when someone punches you in the face or, or when someone's sitting across from you who is also a completely capable, able-bodied person who wants you to lose, you know, in a, in a competition or whatever, or even, even in an intellectual conversation. You can only repeat a few catchphrases before you're challenged beyond your memorization. I, I think we talked about the memorization of information versus, versus knowledge or wisdom or whatever it may be. You, you can only repeat so many phrases. You can't, when you get, you know, underneath some pressure, you know, those sentences stop coming. And that is the difference to me. That's character or real solid uh, character as opposed to something like reputation, which is just something that people spread. But fighting, for instance, takes technique, right? Like it takes technical knowledge and actual technique, which is why, you know, with proper technique, someone who's not huge can kick the shit out of someone who is. What role do you see that kind of intellectual knowledge playing with anything you're trying to get good at a pragmatism i guess would be the closest thing to the truth that i could tell you i don't watch the things people say i watch the things people do so if you tell me oh, i'm trying so i just can't get this right i'm da 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 i'm this that and the other and i'm making 19 excuses but i'm watching you and you're sitting you're you're sitting you're telling me about how hard you're trying but i haven't ever seen you try and i live in the fucking next room from you I would say that it doesn't really matter what you say because I know the truth is you aren't that. If you spend more times playing Call of Duty than you do playing your guitar, you don't really want to be a musician as much as you sit and grovel to me that you do. If you, um, you know, I got uh, relatives who are fucking humongous that sit and tell me they go to the gym and they also work out, but they for some reason just can't get slim. And it's like the lie detector is your body. You know, when you put less calories in it, unless you have a fucking thyroid problem or something, which you don't, because I know you, you, I'm related to you. You put less in than you, than you, um, than you expel, you shrink. That's just how it is. So I would say pragmatism, the real observation of how people act and not assigning uh, any judgments or intentions or anything. I don't like to do the thing where I assume I know what these people's intentions are or justify it or care. I don't, I don't, I don't do that, but I think uh, you can look at people and uh, if you watch them for long enough, you'll know the truth regardless if uh, it, it happens to match up to what they say or not. And me and Josh talk about this all the time. In my opinion, stupid rules that more platitudes that don't matter, people 
that are uninteresting are uninterested. And that's true because the most interesting people I know are the most interested people I know. They're the most curious. And you would think, well, you're the most interesting people I know or one of the ones I know. And I know a lot of people like, why are you so interested? You know, you, you should just be spend time entertaining, but it doesn't really work that way. And the way that, that I try to be is just be pragmatic and I, with myself as well. All these things that I say and put people down and constantly ridicule people, I do, I do it to myself about a hundred times more than I do anyone else, which is why I don't feel bad. I try to be pragmatic with when I look at uh, are you being honest with yourself? Did you leave anything? Uh, did you pull any punches? Did you, I guess it's a checks and balances thing. It's, it's a few th- ideas I'm obsessed with. One is, was, is, is the cognitive biases or the cognitive dissonances. And another is the illogical fallacies. And then there's pragmatism. It's, am I acting in a way that the world that I explain or the life that I explain want to live or the human that I want to be is in sync with my actions? Most of the time, people are not. And I try to be as much as I can. And that mainly, it doesn't always, the thing about it is is when I am succeeding at at doing it as much as I know how to and when I'm doing very good, it doesn't at all make for a good social setting, a good interaction, a good friendship, a good relationship. And it's telling. It's, It's telling because it reveals truth to you. I think there is such thing as wisdom and I was lucky enough to come across, you know, ideas that I think are good, like stoicism or something like that, like Seneca or Marcus Aurelius, or like I already mentioned, Jiddy Krishnamurti and internalizing these ideas, but being pragmatic in the, in the observation of the, of the world around you and, and, how, and your actions in it mainly, you should always start with your own <laughs> making your own bed, as they say, you know? That's fun. Yeah, just I was just thinking about the, the interesting people and the interested as well. <laughs> it's just... Just like bored and boring. Exactly. This was, I want to say this was, this was, well, it was a little over a year ago by, by the story that I'm telling here, but I remember having a moment going to Qdoba to pick up some food, and it was a big line, forgot my phone. So what I did for the 10 minutes of waiting is just really taking your surroundings and just... I found myself just ridiculously entertained by just the people, the architecture of the building, the um, the amount of infrastructure it takes to 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 have something like a Qdoba, like a chain, like like how do they stock this stuff? What, what are they doing here? What's what, you know? What I mean, what are the dimensions of this counter? How is it designed to flow the traffic? Looking at the dining area. By the time I got my food, I'm like, man, I don't want to leave. I'm just sitting here exactly. absorbing this stuff in, and it's something that you don't often afford yourself and you have to make a conscious effort to do it. And I find myself like if I'm in public, which I don't typically like to do, but I'll, yeah, you have sometimes your device with you and you find yourself staring at some worthless, you know, information that really, I mean, it's, it's, it's great for a lot of things, but a lot of times we all, I think, fall victim to just killing time when it is so precious. But if you're able to just sit in a, in a Qdoba queue and entertain yourself for 15 minutes, that to me is a sign, I think, to me at least, of true happiness. It sounds crazy, but like I think it is. It's indicative of the ability to just absorb something that most would find mundane and really get a lot of enjoyment. Like I think really profound enjoyment out of it, more so than scrolling through the gram, that's for sure. 
I was going to say, to me, that is a better time than what the screen has in there. Sure. Oh, absolutely. People make stupid arguments. Again, this is what the question that I thought you were asking me when you asked, how do you deal with, you know, mobilize that type of intellectual pursuit to make it meaningful? I thought you were, you were going to, I thought you were asking me a different question. And I I think, I think um, society is an animal that has to be kept alive and it is kept alive by uh, just like money. Our money is, is a facade. You know, it used to be backed by something that was real, but now it's not. And it, it's only, it only, it's only valuable because we all agree it's valuable. New York city is only a desirable right. place to live because everyone says that it's desirable. It wasn't desirable in 1981. Why is it now? And um, I, I know there, are, I know the reasons why it is, but there's rhetorical is, Kind of just getting to the point of because society rewards or tells you something may be, you know, in your best interest or a worth a worthwhile pursuit, you have to look at, you have to consider the source. Uh, you know, is the doctor going to really tell you that you don't need the prescription or is he going to write you one and then <laughs> go buy the Ferrari? There are a lot of things that the society or your world, or even it comes down to your family, friends, the person that you love the most will tell you, prolong that. The last thing these, most of the time, it's just um, avoiding challenge. One of the four or five things we talked about, you know, most people find peace in you being a certain way because that isn't consistent with them and it doesn't challenge anything about them. You know, if I come from hell and I have a friend who comes from hell and uh, he just says, yeah, well, you got, you did all that stuff because, you know, you're you and you know what I mean? I'm me, though. That gets him off the hook for life. Um, and life is the same way. The things that it rewards are not necessarily good things. They're not inherently good things. They're not inherently productive things. You know, when you have a sick society, it's going to award sickness. And no one cares to look at the architecture of the Kidoba, you know what I mean? Because it sounds so crazy. But that really is the practice of of applying, I think, pragmatic uh, usefulness. I do the same exact thing. Even when there is nothing to observe, um, there are other types of little rituals and things that I I do in places or spots where you find yourself kind of sitting, you know, in in elevators, in a waiting room, in something where you must be present, but you're not really present. You know, there are a handful of activities that you can assign to those those types of situations that really add value. None of them are on your phone. Yeah, I, I think I thought of it because I think I watched Grand Budapest again, like, was it last night or the night before? Dude, calm down. You've watched it 40 times, man. You need to watch The Handmaid. It's, it's got to be more. <laughs> I've seen that <laughs> I know, twice. I know. I know. I've seen it twice. But yeah, it, it was just at the end where he's telling the story, you know, the, the author's absorbing the story from the, the guy that worked as the, as the bellhop. And then he's like, you know, go, you can go into the elevator. No, no, I'm just gonna sit for a while. I'm just like, oh yeah, just sit and smoke a pipe in the lobby. You know what I mean? Like nothing, just but absorbing, but absorbing the story. He was just told to then retell it to you, the audience. But like within all of that, yeah, it's just that sitting. It's just that sitting in quiet and just yeah, it's exactly, so cool, just absorbing he just the information. The story, and he's still sitting. Yeah. To me, it just it's. It's the end of Voltaire's Candide when, you know, this hell happens. And he says, uh, so what are we going to do now? And he's like, well, yeah, we're going to do all that. But right now we must just cultivate our garden. And 
Right. It's like, fuck. You know? Yeah. Do you think that it's kind of our own fault if we're ever bored? Yes. Boredom's not a burden anyone should bear. That's what that's what Maynard said, right? Yeah. Positively. Absolutely. Are you high? We're walking miracles. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're 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 complete miracles. It's not no, I don't I don't I don't find any lack of there's no no, there's nothing uninteresting about that. I think what we call entertainment isn't really entertainment. I think yeah, things that put in front of people aren't necessarily worthwhile and not worth, you know, I don't think people are being pushed to their limits. I think some of it's by design. I think some of it's a weapon. I think some of it is foregoing responsibility or laziness. I think the world rewards that type of stuff. I think the world, if it doesn't reward it, it makes a bunch of excuses for that type of stuff. But we can live bored. Yeah, boredom. It just makes me think about like video games. I love video games. I enjoy them. I don't play nearly as much as a lot of people I know, but I really, really do enjoy them. I love the interaction aspect. To me, it's it's scratch that curiosity. Where you know, an album you can listen to a million different ways. You can put in these speakers, these headphones, listen to your car, a bunch, and you hear things you never heard before. But in a game, you're truly exploring some piece of art, and that term can be used a little bit loosely in some cases and maybe a little more strongly in others. But to talk about the boredom thing, and I think maybe one of the reasons why video games are the biggest form of entertainment that dwarfs music and movies and books combined is that it does give you these sense of accomplishments. Like you can feel accomplished when you finish a book, for sure, or when you finish a movie, but not like a game because you're given tasks. And and I think there's maybe a, a fear of commitment. Like well, everybody has this. There's a fear of commitment of, of finishing a certain task. or, or uh, But a game, it scratches that itch of accomplishment in such a way, which, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Is it good or bad? It's just telling maybe. But it, it also coincides with technology advancing. But yeah, boredom. The better video game analogy where I thought you were going where the combo was, I think there's two. Yeah, I think what you say is there's two type of, of gamers, people that play as a, a recess or recre recreation from, from their life. Sure. Or there are people that are trying to escape their life. Some people are trying to augment their life. Like, oh, I'm yeah. going to play this game for 60 minutes. It's going to be fun and all that other stuff. And I think I'm in that zone because I don't play games. But when I do, it's always at your house and it's always like an assignment. But... <laughs> An assignment? <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, it's an assignment. What was the last assignment I gave you? It was Beginner's Guide. I think it was called Beginner's Guide. That was cool. It's like House of Leaves, but video games. So if anyone listening to this wants to play a game that's something a little different, try, yeah, Beginner's Guide. I think I don't know if it's on consoles, but I know it's on PC. It's a bit strange, but uh, this is going to be shitty because people are going to be like, this guy is really a fucking lame. But I, I actually like this because you have to consider the scenario. I'm sitting here on his couch, you know what I mean? Best TV in the world. But, you know, all this other stuff, the sound's going good. I got the headphones on too. You know, he hooked me up with head headphones. So I'm just, I've teleported. I'm not even in the same room or house and he left me alone for the duration of the video game and i sat and played the whole game and sometimes he says to do these types of things and i only do it because i trust him you know i would never uh there are probably maybe three people i would play a video game for and i thought i would come out the other side as uh as intended and maybe i did but um it was kind of a it's a it's a different kind of game but the, the analogy that he always uses is some people um, play games t 
to uh, as a as a, a break break from life. Some people play it to actually live. You know, this is oh right a vicarious guy whose life only matters on this game. My, you know, right. And I think that was that was something that definitely existed, obviously, long before games. Right with books, you can you can see yourself as the character in movies. You, is escapism that can even gambling? Let's say, oh, I'll say drugs, gambling, yeah, drugs, yeah. There we go. That's an True. ancient one. Yeah. Escapism. Yeah, exactly. And it's, again, I think it circles back around to, you know, the, the skirting of responsibility, the, um, yeah, it's, you know, the procrastinators crack essentially with video games. Josh, why, why would you give uh, someone an assignment to play a video game? That's, uh, I'm curious about that. Like, what's the context? The context is just, for me, and I think it's something that I knew David would appreciate. It's 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 just a form, a narrative. It's kind of like witnessing the evolution of of a medium, which we don't really see with music, right? Like, it changes in terms of recording. We get digital, sure, but is the music objectively better or worse? You can't. You know, you can make an argument from both sides easily, right? And you can make an easy argument that no one will ever top Beethoven and Mozart, etc. But when it comes to video games, we're watching a medium kind of evolve with technology. I mean, it's literally cutting edge. This is why I'm into the VR or these other things, because it's interesting. It's to me fascinating to see a whole new medium of storytelling and expression kind of open up and blossom right in front of you. So when something like a beginner's guide comes out, I never experienced anything like that in terms of a book or a, or, or, any, or, or, or music or movie, anything like that. Maybe someone who read House of Leaves would have seen it coming a little bit further away. But I guess that's true of really any art form. But it's but it's interesting to see it repackaged in an interactive way. And so, should I check out Beginner's Guide? Sure. Yeah, it's it's something different. You know what I mean? Do you know House of Leaves? No. It's a really good book. But once again, I think this was a recommendation. Just like I told him to watch The Handmaiden a thousand days right. in a row. I don't give recommendations or care if um, anyone likes or knows about anything that I like or know about. Um, I'm kind of on my own path and I just appreciate things, but sometimes I come across something where I'm like, oh, okay, well, I got to let Josh know that I think this is the best movie to be made since Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut. And uh, it would, I would only say this to him because we talk about these types of things and I think he would recommend The Beginner's Guide to to me for maybe the same reasons. I've, I've played right six video games in my life. I don't you know the the Rotten Tomatoes. It's like the opposite of that. It's a it's a trusted source. It's a it's a actual unsolicited. I play it out of curiosity when he mentions it. Uh, when he recommends a movie, I watch it. It's, it's just because he has rapport. It's it's kind of why I don't like making recommendations for books or movies or things just blindly. Everyone should read this book or movie. I don't know these people. I don't fucking know you. I don't know what you should read. I don't know what I should recommend. I don't know what you're going to read. I don't know about your level. I don't know about your curiosity. I don't know about your life to know where you are. I don't know where you want to go. Don't know where you're heading. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that reminds me of something I went through recently with movies, okay? I, I, I bought like, uh, you know, I've been going on this kick with getting all these like 4K remasters of like this, the Kubrick and, and all this stuff. So there was a deal on Back to the Future. Not like the first movie, I'm not like crazy about it, but it was a good deal. It was all three of them. It's like, eh, I remember the second one was like not as good as the first. I remember like really not liking the third one. So whatever, I got all three. I'll watch one a night for the next, you know, three days in a row. 
ended up really liking them, like completely 180, my opinion, on a lot of movies actually that I bought recently in 4K. And I don't know if it's my setup, I'm seeing more details that were, you know what I mean, was intended. And you're just, I just feel more absorbed into the film than I would have been last time I watched it. But to, I guess the point I'm trying to make is about the recommendation, right? Like what place are you in mentally? Now, when I think I recommended him playing Beginner's Guide, I'm, were we in the middle of the La Petite writing? I think it was. Yeah, it was one of those things. Yeah, I was having a, I don't want to say a hard time. I was having an unusual time, but I was just needed a pivot or some, like something. Something to spark a different, just a different angle to look at things just from, right? Just change the angle a little bit for me type of thing. Yeah, that was kind of the, the reason for that. Yeah, it was for something. I think I've played one game for every record maybe, or no, just like one or two, I think. I can't remember, but... It was kind of like a pointless assignment because oh, it was a good one, but the idea was kind of just the assignment. It wasn't even an assignment. He just said, you know, I'll sit you down and play this game. And any Just get your head in a different you, space. You want me to tell right. you what it was? This motherfucker was trying to trick me out of getting a whole day's work paid for fucking goddamn me playing games. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, it was... Um, any impatient person that would desire results would have thought that. Who would who would go be sitting in a studio that's very overpriced and just be like, I'm going to go sit on the couch. I'm going to go sit on the couch and play a video game for this this day. It's not like I'm rich. I'm not I'm out here like, ah, yeah, that ain't nothing. Even though, you know, I do tend to flex a little bit, but that's not the point. The point is, it's taken one step back, I guess, to take two forward. That makes any sense on our endless amounts of platitudes and stupid sayings for this combo. <laughs> you know what I mean, though? Yeah. Yes. So I think uh, on that note, I think this is actually a good place to end it. I want to thank both of you for taking the time. We hit your platitude threshold <laughs> yeah, and you're yeah. tapping out. <laughs> Wisely tapped. so. No, I think, I think it's a good length. That's cool because most people don't like to actually have a talk. They like to get some right. sound bites and I wouldn't be still doing this if I wasn't able to have actual conversations cuz I'd get I get so sick of it even though I mainly talk to producers and musicians we don't talk about music and recording that much okay yeah the, this is way more my speed yeah this is pretty cool again this would be like a solicitation from Josh, that I would just figured was probably a good idea because luckily I have someone like him that can just screen these, you know, he he can talk to all the bullshit people, you know what I mean? If it's a meaningful conversation, he has to tap me in, he has to tag me in, so it's a tag team, and if, he, if, his, if his conversation is going to have any substance, he, of course, has to tag my hand. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Of course. Thanks for having us. No problem. Okay, then. Another URM podcast episode in the bag. Please remember to share our episodes with your friends, as well as post them to your Facebook, Instagram, or any social media you use. Please tag me at URM Audio, And of course, please tag my guests as well. Till next time, happy mixing. You've been listening to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit urm.academy and press the podcast link today.